You have news from Jeddah. Come on. An Imperial pilot. One of the cargo drivers he defected yesterday. He's telling people they're making a weapon. The Kyber crystals, that's what they're for. What kind of weapon? Look, I have to go. What kind of weapon? A planet killer! Welcome to Now Playing's Star Wars Retrospective Series. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Please do not resist. Hosted by Arnie. Half the people here want to reprogram you. The other half want to put a hole in your head. Stuart. I'm beginning to think the Force and I have different priorities. And Jacob. Today, sent you. Did you come here? Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. Failure will find you explaining why to a far less patient audience. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers. I've got a bad feeling about it. Quiet. What? Listener discretion is advised. Watch it. I haven't completed my calculations. I'll make them for you. Today we're discussing Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Starring Felicity Jones, Diego Luna, Ben Mendelsohn, Donnie Yen, Mads Mikkelsen, Alan Tudyk, Riz Ahmed, Yang Wen, Forrest Whitaker, directed by Gareth Edwards. I'm one with the podcast, the podcast with me. I'm one with the podcast, the podcast with me. I'm one with the podcast, the podcast with me. Arnie, Costa now playing. Stuart in LA. And this is now playing's Hope. Jacob. Well, we've had a year to digest The Force Awakens. Has it only been a year? It feels like centuries ago, a long time ago, a galaxy far away indeed. But that was, it was what we were doing this time last year. It does seem like longer ago than that. And maybe it's because I do live in Star Wars with Star Wars Action News, the podcast and everything. But it's hard to believe when I was going back and re-listening to those shows. I'm like, wow, that's just last year. And (laughs) I've got to say, some of my comments on The Force Awakens were considered controversial. I stand by them all. I've seen that movie a good half dozen times since then. I'm... Kind of like the prequels, learning to focus on the things I like and just be like, oh yeah, there's that thing I don't, and not harp. (laughs) Well, if you could do it with Phantom Menace, I imagine it'll be very easy to do with Force Awakens. I haven't gone back or thought about it. It's not a slight against the movie. It's just we've had so much else to cover. That's why it feels so long, is like in between covering Star Wars, how many franchises, how many podcasts about books and movies have we done? Yeah, I, I much like my feelings were during Force Awakens, I didn't notice this movie coming out until I was walking into the theater. I just had forgotten about Star Wars. And, and see, this is one of the movies I was more excited about this year to see. Like, maybe even a little bit more than Force Awakens. Force Awakens felt like a party. That was a class reunion. It was fun to go back. This, though... It felt different just from those trailers. It felt more somber, darker, and I was looking forward to this. I I didn't go back to The Force Awakens. I went back to A New Hope and Revenge of the Sith because this is where Rogue One lies in between, and I wanted to catch up on what happened, you know, that era of Star Wars. So did you also watch all of the Rebels cartoon series that takes place in there, Jacob? I think we're in year three of that. 
<laughs> never, never. I did watch some of the animated Clone Wars, the original Clone Wars micro series, but no, did not watch the Clone Wars computer animated or Rebels. Yeah, let's talk about that because I assume that this project got greenlit once Disney got the reins to the Lucas Empire. Why are they looking back? I mean, isn't this supposed to be new generation? Did you see the prequels? We, we could redo those, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what you're getting at. Yeah, we've already covered the, the past and it didn't work out so well. So why would they dare to look at a story that happened before A New Hope? Why do this? Because they killed Darth Vader in episode six and Darth Vader's their number one marketing tool. And what uh. people want when they envisioned the prequels you know what they envisioned is darth vader in full armor lightsaber raised going to war against the jedi against the republic and killing a whole bunch of people yeah i'm still waiting for that movie yeah lucas never satiated that appetite mm. and so I think by going back, they're able to take the icons, all of which were pretty much killed in episode six. Any survivors got to go on to episode seven, but the stuff that people wanted, the war, they never got in the prequels. They got some in the original trilogy, but by going back, it gives them a chance to revisit the characters they loved, including young Han Solo in a couple of years, for better or worse. Right. Okay. But it's dicey because, of course, by going young Han Solo, they'll be going with new actors. And we hope after seeing this movie, I pray they go with <laughs> yeah, new actors. Just... <laughs> They're not going to CGI young Harrison on there. Oh, you just worry about what it would do to your memory. I mean, I think our generation particularly gets very hard when you change our childhood perceptions of things. I'm guilty of that. I still have not gone back to look at Prometheus and I guess I'll have to in a couple <laughs> of months, but uh, not looking forward to it. And so I think that this is dicey. Well, and I think Disney's very careful about this. I, one of the big complaints, I think, with The Force Awakens was that it just felt like a new hope, redone, remade for a new generation. Mm -hmm. I think they played it safe, and I think they're trying to do that. I, th I think they're cautious. They're going to give us a prequel film, but it's not going to have any of those characters to remind us of the prequels, really, that a lot of people maybe don't have great feelings for. I, I do feel like they want to distance this, themselves from that Lucas Star Wars universe with this one. I, I do think they are very cautious with how they approach these movies, playing it safe or, or making very strategic decisions. What characters are going to star in them? And they've said publicly, Kathleen Kennedy has said, depending on the reception of this movie determines how they're going to proceed with future movies. This was an experiment. The reason it's titled Rogue One, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. It's the Rogue One. It's the one that's not in the saga. <laughs> So mm. in addition to having the tiebacks to the rogue group from Hoth and everything, they were looking at this as an experiment. But I'll agree with Jacob. I was far, far more excited for this movie than I ever was for The Force Awakens because screw J.J. Abrams and his mystery box. All those trailers told me was Star Wars was back and it pissed me off. This one, that first trailer brought a sense of nostalgia and wonder in addition to piquing my interest. What's going on when those AT-ATs are attacking on a beach and the black-clad death troopers? The second trailer, I got a little bit mixed, and then the third trailer, I was back in it. So maybe playing on the nostalgia worked for me more here than it did with Episode Seven. Maybe giving me some idea of the plot and the characters worked more to get me excited. But I was chomping at the bit for Rogue One, whereas The Force Awakens, I was always more tentative about. 
Is it just JJ? Do you not like what he does? It was the marketing, and JJ was very much in control of that marketing. It's marketing that is supposed to get someone excited, and apparently it worked on billions of people by saying Star Wars is back. I demanded more than just saying Star Wars is back. What is Star Wars back to do? I'll say this with the Rogue One trailers, because they did get me interested. I do feel like I got a bit of a bait and switch. There's a lot of stuff said in those trailers that were not said in this movie. And I know there were a bunch of reshoots. I couldn't find confirmations on what those reshoots were, but I, I do feel it in this movie. Like, there's things in those trailers. I'm like, oh, this is about a character in the Star Wars universe. That's something, again, going back to the prequels, I think was missed out was how do we create a, a really interesting character that we're really into? They didn't do that with Padme Amidala? No, sorry, didn't care about Padme, didn't even care about Anakin, and that's who you're supposed to care about with the prequels. <laughs> but this Jin Ursu, whoever she is, this seems like a really interesting story set in this wartime in Star Wars, and that's what got me. And again, I feel like maybe a lot of that was excised by this final cut. There was a lot cut. I want to thank Slash Film for their in-depth article that examined all of the production stills that were released, all of the trailers that were released, all of the lines and the promo clips, and then comparing with what was not in the film. I can now, thanks to their article, speak to that as we go through. The one thing that I'll just say ahead of time, because it's an overall change, is they went in to soften the Jin Erso character. They decided she was a bit caustic and unlikable with the first cut, and they had to make edits and do a lot of reshoots to help with that. I have picked up the novelization. It was only released the same day as the movie. I've not had a chance to read it all, but I have gone through to some key points where I'm like, I think that was changed, and I think they did a very good job of changing the novel with it. So there's not a whole lot there, whereas I usually, with novelizations, I'm like, ooh, I get to see the shooting script here. Not so much. Interesting. Well, that is my first question and why I'm so grateful to be on this podcast with you guys, the experts. What do we know about the period that they've chosen to dramatize? Because I feel like... When you look at the extended universe and what have you... It doesn't exist anymore. Well, okay. But how many times have I seen the Death Star plans stolen in that extended universe? Our expanded universe... I did read there's been like nine different versions of the Death Star plans being stolen in the old Legends. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's short stories in the game X-Wing, which was my first exposure to stealing the Death Star plans. They're beamed to my squadron. And then in the game Dark Forces, which was basically Doom on Star Wars, then you're actually a commando stealing the Death Star plans. There's books about stealing the Death Star plans. This is the story, because in that opening crawl of A New Hope, they say that the Rebel Alliance from a secret base scored their first victory against the Galactic Empire. That is a line just fertile for your imagination. What is that victory? Tell the story of that victory. And even in the original novelization of A New Hope, it opens with a prologue that's by Princess Leia. And the last line of it was, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Naturally, they became heroes. I mean, there's just so much right about that first victory that's alluded to. It does seem like a good place to go. It puts you back in the original trilogy. It allows for characters who you know to see the machinations of the universe and to tell of the origin of the Rebel Alliance. And let's not forget, 
Lucas tried to do that in Revenge of the Sith. I mean, admittedly, he is his own boss, so he chose not to of his own accord. It's not like the studio said, cut this. But when filming Revenge of the Sith, there were a lot of scenes of Bail Organa and Mon Mothma meeting with Padme Amidala to start the rebellion. And those were all cut, but even Lucas knew that's what fans want to see as the start of the rebellion. And a lot of those actors return here. The actress who plays Mon Mothma, Genevieve O'Reilly, Jimmy Smits. These were actors cast in these roles in episode three, bringing them back here. Yeah, I figured that there were things that I've forgotten from episode three, from episode four, things that might have been said throughout the saga that would inform you about what we were getting. My whole premise for what I thought I was seeing turns out to be false. I was like, oh yeah, this is the one where many people sacrificed their life to deliver this goal. But that was referring to something else, right? Yeah, that was many Bothans died to get yeah. them to that Star 2 plans and Return of the Jedi, Stuart. Come on. Okay. No Bothans here. Everybody was saying that to me. Everybody's like, where, where are the Bothans when the trailer came out? I'm like, you think you know what you're talking about because you're mentioning Bothans, but you really don't. <laughs> I can't even mention Bothans, but I thought I was going to watch a story in which everyone dies to deliver the plan. Everyone does die. Spoiler. I was not surprised by this film. <laughs> <laughs> but it was pointed out to me later that my presumption to know the end of this movie was based on false information. How did you guys see this? I went all the way, 3D IMAX, opening night with the big... Not, I wouldn't say there was too many cosplayers, but the most enthusiastic moviegoers do go at 7 o'clock on Thursday. I caught an 8 o'clock showing on Thursday, and there was a few cosplayers. They were doing Rogue One cosplaying. I mean, there was a guy dressed up as Cassian. Are you sure he wasn't dressed up as Han from Hoth? I know it, it was. I had to do a double take. It, it's very similar. Blue coat or brown coat? It was a blue coat, I believe. There was someone <laughs> dressed up as a New Hope Leia. I'm like, oh, she's into the original trilogy. Nope, I, maybe she knew something about this film. She was cosplaying for Rogue One, but yeah, a few cosplayers sold out show, of course. And I just saw it in regular, normal 2D. Well, let's see. The first time I saw it was Thursday night <laughs> in IMAX 3D. It wasn't a sold out show. But it was close, and I drove three hours round trip to see it in IMAX 3D. I got the poster and popcorn tin. I was excited. The second time I saw it, I cut out of work for an afternoon, and I saw it in non-IMAX 3D. The third time I saw it was after work in regular 2D. When I see a movie multiple times for a podcast, if I see it once, that means the movie's simple, and my answer is clear. Mm. If I see it twice, <laughs> that means either I'm a little uncertain, like I don't know which way to go, like The Dark Knight Rises, or it means I didn't get what was going on or something like that. There's only like one other time before I see it three times, so we'll see what that means. I feel like we're in that scene in Amadeus where they're explaining what happens when the dude yawns too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would think that you'd also see it three times because you're you're going to end up seeing it 3,000 times, right? Whether you love it or hate it, I would think it's part of canon now. You have to adopt this as part of your series. You're the super Star Wars fan. Well, hold on now. Just because they say this is part of canon, that doesn't mean I'm tuning in. I don't even know when Clone Wars airs or when Rebels airs. Jeez, I don't even know which one's on right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's easy to ignore TV. That is T-level canon, though. Yeah. No, there is no T-level canon anymore. Oh, that's gone. I thought it was busted on a cool term. No, that was the old way. This is all canon. 
a character here came out of the Clone Wars series that Disney came in and canceled. But the what is canon is any book published after Disney bought it, all of the Lucas stuff, the six films, now eight films, the Clone Wars TV series, the Rebels TV series, it's all one universe. It all matters. But unfortunately, it doesn't all matter to me. So, yes, I will probably see this movie a lot, but they're going to be putting out a movie a year. I can't watch them all as much as I've watched A New Hope. So how these movies are will determine how often they play. And after The Phantom Menace, I would never choose without this podcast to see a movie three times in two days. Mm. Yeah, I hear you. And I'm curious because, boy, last year when we recorded The Force Awakens, I felt like that was a recommend that did not come easy from your lips. You ended up saying it was the third best movie in the series, but I think it also sounded like you wanted to tear it a new asshole. So (laughs) I I don't know. I'm very curious to know how a super fan is going to deal with the fact that part of the lore that they know is being altered and expanded upon by Disney Pictures. But in order to do that, I suppose we should talk about this plot, Arnie. Taking place immediately before the events of the 1977 Star Wars movie, Rogue One details the machinations of how the Rebel Alliance stole the Death Star plans. That it? Need more? Uh, I mean, yeah, a little. (laughs) I mean, I don't, but somebody does out there. The two people that haven't seen the movie yet. Someone's going to be mad that you didn't bring up uh, Admiral Raddus in your plot summary. (laughs) Guess what? I still don't in the more extended version. <laughs> and if his name's Radish, shouldn't he be a rat, not a fish? No, Rad is in radical because he is Rad. Well, Pablo Hidalgo <laughs> said that before it was officially named, his ship was called the Radisson. Uh, there may be a trademark problem there. Yeah, I, maybe not go with that. The plot begins thanks to Imperial Engineer Galen Erso, played by Mads Mikkelsen. Against his will, Galen is forced to work on the Empire's planet killer by his old friend, frenemy, you gotta read the novel Catalyst for all those details, Imperial Director Orson Krennic, played by Ben Mendelsohn. But in his designs, Galen intentionally built in a weak spot, the reactor port that can allow a single shot to destroy the entire station. See, it's not lazy screenwriting, it's sabotage! I do love that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) What people have bitched about for almost 40 years, retcon. Such a middle finger, I love it. As the battle station is about to be operational, Galen sends word to rogue rebel extremist Saw Gerrera, played by Forrest Whitaker. Carrying the message is defecting Imperial pilot Bodhi Rook, played by Riz Ahmed. But word of this message leaks to Rebel Alliance intelligence officer Cassian Andor, played by Diego Luna. So rebel leaders, including Mon Mothma and General Draven, send Andor on a mission. He and his reprogrammed Imperial security droid, K-2SO, played by Alan Tudyk, are sent to retrieve Galen's daughter, Jin Erso, played by Felicity Jones. She was raised by Saw after Galen was taken by the Imperials, and has since lived a life of crime. But Galen breaks her out of prison, and the rebels make her a deal. If she helps them make contact with Saw, they will make sure she goes free and help rescue her father. Through several steps we're going to discuss as the show goes on, the three are joined by Force-sensitive blind warrior Chirrut Imwe, played by Donnie Yen, and heavy gunner Baze Malbus, played by Yang Wen. And when they meet Saw, they also pick up Bodhi to the crew. But in parallel, there's drama occurring within the Imperial ranks. 
The construction of the Death Star has taken much longer than desired, and Krennic is being micromanaged by Governor Tarkin, played by a creepy-as-hell CGI creation. When Krennic proves the Death Star is operational, Tarkin takes all the credit and control of the station. Krennic tries to prove himself by visiting Darth Vader on Mustafar, voiced by James Earl Jones, but the information leaks make Krennic look weak. This all comes to a head on a planet called Scarif, where the Imperials keep their server room. Krennic has come to investigate all messages sent by Galen, while the Rebel crew has come to steal the Death Star plans. A major battle erupts, and the Rebel fleet comes to a space fight, led by Admiral Raddus. There's an ad-libbed line for the Raddus fans. <laughs> all the Mon Calamari fans. <laughs> They're racist. They only like the red cows. They don't like the blue cows. Or the albino ones. Those ones kind of creeped me out. A planetary shield prevents the crew from escaping the planet and physically delivering the plans, but they're able to use a giant satellite dish to upload them to a rebel ship. In the mission, all six of the spies, Bodhi, Chirrut, Baze, Andor, K2SO, and even Jin are killed, some of them when Tarkin orders the Death Star to fire and destroy the base. But while rebel losses are great, the plans are delivered to Princess Leia, a cameo by another creepy CGI creature, while Darth Vader goes all force unleashed on some rebels. But Leah Starship jumps to hyperspace and into A New Hope as credits roll. I'm just going to put it out there. One of the reasons I saw this movie three times is the first half an hour of this film was flippin' confusing. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I feel like this is where a lot of cuts were done, and I feel it. Like, jumping from not just planet to planet, but just so many characters are introduced. Yeah, I couldn't tell the first time. I remained as spoiler-free as possible going in. I didn't read any interviews until after the fact. I didn't watch the TV spots. I watched the theatrical trailers. That was it. So I wasn't quite sure even who to focus on. And there are so many planets, so many characters. Heck, we even jumped 20 years. And it doesn't even begin with the usual Star Wars opening. There's no scroll. We do get the blue a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then we get this horrible Michael Giacchino music sting as we see a planet. Gone is the John Williams music. Gone is the Star Wars opening. We're in a Star Wars story because Lucasfilm didn't think people knew the word anthology. And it's going to feel different. I think it is different. And I think if it feels different right at the top, they're doing their job. I think that if you put the scroll in it, it makes it a part of Luke's story and Kylo Ren's story and Anakin's story. And it's not. It's it's a side story. So that they're going to different impulses, I think, is correct. It feels Williams enough to me. I mean, I figured you wouldn't like the fact that Williams is not here doing the music for the first time, I think, in a Star Wars movie. Well, he didn't do the Clone Wars cartoon movie, but... No, well... <laughs> yeah, that, that a MIDI recorder do that one. Let me just get this out of the way. I'm fine with Williams not doing it. I didn't even take it as a prerequisite that he did the prequels. But Michael Giacchino, he does everything these days, so we keep talking about how I don't like him. But here, I think he apes Williams well. There are a couple of times where he calls back to William Squirt. There's a couple of times where I thought he actually stole the love theme from Attack of the Clones, if you listen closely. Yes. But I feel he did a capable job, scene to scene, of impersonating Williams, but having listened to the soundtrack all the way through, he did a piss-poor job of creating themes and recurring motifs. He scored for the scene, but not for the movie. Yeah, I, I feel like when when the music counts, like we're going to get this opening scene, and then it's going to say Rogue One, and that's 
oh, okay, here comes John Williams' classic Star Wars theme. No, it's this other thing that sounds like kind of like the Star Wars theme, but played by a kid only on his second year piano lessons, <laughs> kind of off key. It really stuck out. And I'm like, ooh, that's not quite the right feeling. But as far as when we get the visuals, when we get this opening on, I think this is one of two times they don't tell us what planet we're on. Yes, they're on planet Lamu. And I <laughs> I had to do some research because it, from space, it looked kind of like Earth. Hell, Krennic's shuttle is coming in from a planet that looks like Saturn. But I wondered if this might be like Alderaan or something. Maybe we were getting a glimpse on life on that planet before it would be destroyed in A New Hope. But no, we're in Lamu. No, we're in Iceland. I can recognize this in a second. I didn't even have to look at the credits to know. The black beaches tell you. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was very beautiful. You go from these black beaches to all this greenery where the Ursos, I guess they got a moisture farm going there and they got a bunch of crops going. But yeah, you, you get the ship landing and and we get an introduction to Krennic who runs with like black stormtroopers. I don't know if they have a special name. They are called Death Troopers. According to all the toys, except for the Disney exclusive toys where they're just called Advanced Weapons Research Troopers because death is scary to little kitties. Have a magical day with death. I did see people saying, you know what, if you do have kids that are like five, you may want to skip this one till they're older. So maybe there's something to do that. But are they aliens? They don't speak English. Like whenever they talk, it's just in this like garbled. They sound like probe droids to me a little yes. bit, you know, and. When watching this movie the first time, it hit me about three quarters of the way through. There is nothing here that says buy a toy of me at all. Isn't that a good thing? I'm just saying that I think there's somebody from Lucas Marketing, possibly Hasbro itself, but I'm thinking more Lucas Licensing, sitting in the development room like, yeah, you've got nothing here. All right, we're going to put a beige panel on an AT, at so that we can sell it again and call it an ATACT. And yeah, people have long wanted black stormtroopers because black is cool and goth. So we're going to put black stormtroopers in here for no reason. We're going to put new kinds of TIE fighters in here for no reason because we got toys to sell people. These tickets aren't going to pay for this movie. Yeah, it's weird. I thought I had seen stormtroopers in different colors before. Have I not? In the prequels, they have different color stripes and, yeah, different designs. But it's still that white is the main part of it. It's always white? Yeah. We've never seen a black stormtrooper before? We saw some camo ones on Kashyyyk in Revenge of the Sith. I feel like I've seen it somewhere, but I can't tell you where. Are you thinking of Darth Vader? I mean, it could have been Comic-Con. I don't know. I mean, you know. Yeah, probably Comic-Con. Yes, there have been shadow troopers, which were the extended universe version where there was a agent called black hole of the empire and he had his own ranks called the black hole stormtroopers of the shadow stormtroopers i mean the whole thing's like rolling stones i see a white trooper i wanna paint it black there's so much of that that was going around this is our first time in the movie seeing it it also kind of irks me because there was this really cool book called death troopers where there were they were zombies they were zombie stormtroopers <laughs> and gory and eating brains maybe that's why they don't speak english in this one there's zombies inside. They've reappropriated the term death trooper. Okay, so let me understand. You're mad that there's black stormtroopers here? This feels like some kind of artistic mistake. I'm just saying it feels 
like marketing choices and not storytelling choices. I think the designs are great. I really like the look of these Death Troopers. I'm not going to tell you how many of the toys I already have in my house because I think the design just looks good, but it's not in service of story. And if they were serving on board the Death Star with Krennic, how come we never ran into any? Yeah, but you know what? I feel like th this opening scene, it takes place, I think they say 15, 16 years before the rest of the film, which is going to happen like right before New Hope. Like we still have some old remnants of the, you know, Revenge of the Sith era. And I, I don't have a problem with this. I want Star Wars universe to feel big. And that was a big gripe with the prequels is that it made it feel so small. So to have these, you know, the armor's a little bit different just on an artistic level. Like I think these shots are, are just great to look at as Krennic gets out. And he's got that white cape and the black troopers and they're walking to this green field like I, I just think it looks beautiful and and i'm digging you know these elements that are new to the star wars universe no it looks great and it's a complete inverse of how the first film started vader came in with a black cape and white troopers now krennic comes in with a white cape and black troopers but i'm gonna say this movie looks really good in 2d I was struck at how beautiful it all looked, whether it matched up with any other iteration of Star Wars. It wasn't a dominant thought in my mind. What I was really thinking is, oh, Ben Mendelsohn is in this. I know what this means. I've seen this guy a lot, and he is always a screw-up. He is always, either intentionally or unintentionally, a bad guy. Animal Kingdom, the TV series Bloodline, just so many smaller films this actor has... Yeah, if they were casting for one of those middle management level Death Star employees, he's perfect. Yeah, I do like the bureaucracy that we do get with the Empire. There's going to be some very like bureaucratic office style fights later on between him and Tarkin. Yeah, he just wants, he, they're mad because they're behind schedule. And I guess Galen Urso, played by Mad Mickelson, we talked about him, you know, with his eyeliner and Doctor Strange and of course Casino Royale and Hannibal. Yes, always something going on with his eyes, crying blood, yeah, something. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so Galen, I guess, used to work on the Death Star and just quit. They just let you quit the Empire? I didn't know that. I think he ran away. I think he thought he was living in a place that wouldn't be discovered because the the fact that they're kind of semi underground and yeah, that the arrival is not met with like, Oh, it's you again. It's like, all right, you know what to do. Go run and hide. And I'm going to say that you're dead. Well, you have to read the prequel novel catalyst or don't in order to get all of the, Subtle details there. That book pretty much details the history of Krennic and Galen together. And Galen was working on the Death Star without his knowledge a little bit. So, yes, they were old friends, childhood friends, college friends who parted ways. And this was back when the Empire was newly formed. It wasn't completely totalitarian from day one. It took a while to get that way. And I was getting a real Sound of Music vibe out of this, actually, when Christopher Plummer... Yeah, especially when they broke out with the puppet show. <laughs> I think about when Christopher Plummer was met by the Nazis who he had had cordial party with previously, and it was all very tense. And while the family was trying to run away in the green hillside, we kind of have that same thing going on here. In the green valleys, the wife and daughter are hiding while he goes out to meet with this person who he loathes the political agenda of, but who he'd been friends with previously. I know it must be tempting, but I always feel like when someone says, go hide, I'm going to go deal with this threat. They never do. They always are like, okay, I'm only going to go like 10 feet away and then come out of hiding 
Yeah, with a blaster or something. Like, this was, boy, you knew the wife was dead instantly. I mean, just by her not running away. I was like, well, this is where the child becomes an orphan. Well, even little Jen doesn't run that far away. She's watching the whole thing, too. It's Yeah, I agree. Run and hide. They really do it. <laughs> Listen to your parents, kids. If both the mom and the child would have ran into that rock cave that Jen's going to hide in later... They would still be alive. Yeah, I. The mom would at least. It was a good plan, but they just <laughs> the temptation to know what was going to happen was too great. And I guess it does build up some of the cooler side of Ben Mendelsohn's evil. I, I think mostly he looks ineffectual, but we think of him as a badass when he's strutting here in this way because they can't take their eyes off of him. What is he going to do? I don't know if this was intentional, but I kind of feel it was. I think that director Gareth Edwards here was actually making visual callbacks to Phantom Menace. When little Jin is running with the backpack away from the shuttle coming in, it reminded me of little Anakin with his backpack running away from Darth Maul. Mads Mikkelsen has a little bit of a beard, and he kneels and gives her a little pep talk the way Qui-Gon did for little Annie. And then we're going to have yet another story of a Star Wars character who grew up without parents. Anakin, Luke, Jin, and Rey... I think this is the Star Wars trope. It's really the Disney trope. If you watch those Disney cartoons, a lot of orphans. Yeah, I, I, it's coming of age is, is usually the story for most Disney product. And yeah, Star Wars, we have enough movies that we can start to see repeating cycles of behavior and costuming, what have you. I wasn't thinking about that, but this movie felt in keeping with what I'd seen before. I felt I was in the Star Wars universe, even though we were on a planet I don't think we've ever been to before. I also like that their first instinct when they see the shuttle coming is better call Saul. Boy, this name. Yeah, I wrote it down about nine different ways. And then when I looked it up on the <laughs> Internet, it was none of them. It was none of what I thought he was called. Saul Guerrera. <sighs> All right. I watched most of the Clone Wars cartoon. Maybe not when it first aired, but I've caught up on some. I read that this character was from that. And I'm like, he was? I had no memory. Keep in mind, there's hundreds of episodes of that. So... I went back, I rewatched all four, and he does appear in the Catalyst novel, and guess what? It's pointless. There's nothing in that Clone Wars cartoon that informs you more about him. You don't get to see him, like, get his legs chopped off or starting to turn into Darth Vader at all? No, he fights with Ahsoka and Anakin on a planet called Onderon, being invaded by Confederate droids, and he's a bit of a hothead, and he wants to be the leader, but nobody else wants to follow him, but... Honestly, there is absolutely no reason other than, again, probably Pablo Hidalgo sitting in one of these story rooms like, why don't we pluck this obscure character and bring him in? Because that way makes people think that this cartoon matters. It doesn't matter. Don't waste your time and go back and watch those episodes unless you really want to see Snips and Sky Guy teach some people how to bowl with grenades. <laughs> I forgot those names. Oh, you know I do. I've been I've been waiting for it to all, like, I'm going to just catch up on it over Christmas. Just, like, whole deep dive on all of that whole series. I haven't gone back to any of it, but I know I'm going to love it just as much as that Clone Wars movie. But yes, this Saw Gerrera character, I like that he's here. If they were on the planet Onderon, maybe I would have said, okay, now they're really tying it together. But no. As far as anybody needs to know, Forrest Whitaker is a brand new character. One thing that I notice in this scene, aside from the fact that Forrest Whitaker hasn't seen a brush in a while, is that they're starting a visual motif with ladders and that it's established. She doesn't just go hide under a rock, they, that she's at the bottom of a long silo. She's going to have to climb 
climb a ladder in order to go and be with him. We're going to see that imagery throughout this movie. And I think that's what they're getting at with the coming of age and making choices. Ascension or dissension. Will she rise or fall? And Saw doesn't need that comb yet. He's bald at the beginning here, but he's going to grow quite the afro in the next 16 years as, I don't know, Jin sits in a cell? Like, that's where we jump to and... We never really find out what she did. I think she was just like petty larceny or something. Like, it doesn't even seem like a big crime. There was forgery, resisting arrest, aggravated assault. Yeah, pretty petty stuff. <laughs> I mean, what we're going to find out is Saw kept her for about 10 years. When she was 16, Saw's extremist friends wanted to start using her as a hostage, so he abandoned her. Now, Felicity Jones is an actress in her 30s. From what I'm reading, I think Jen Urso is supposed to be in her early 20s or so. So what she's been doing for the past five to 10 years is really a mystery. And I think that's stuff that was cut. I think there was going to be more fleshing out of why she was a rebel. There was that line in that first trailer. This is a rebellion. I rebel. This is my probably my big complaint. Like if I'm going to get real angry about something in this film, it's the character of Jen, who is our protagonist. And I don't know what her character is because I do feel like everything that would define her later on in this film is cut and she wakes up in a cell and then she gets shuffled around by a bunch of dudes for most of this film, cries about her papa, and then she leads a rebellion. I don't really know why. I'll agree. Her motivation is muddy. I think she gets lost in this Star Wars story. I think, in fact, the only reason why we cut to her here is so that we are always thinking about her. But it's it's not where the story wants to go. We just have a quick interlude to remind you that she grew up and ended up in jail. And yeah, I bet there were some adventures with her and the squid face creature she's sharing a cell <laughs> with. And stormtroopers are now prison guards, too. They just do everything. But they had cool batons. Yeah, and they're in their white outfits. But where we're going to next is to meet her counterpoint, the person she's going to work most closely with on the Rogue One plot, Cassian Andor. Diego Luna. It's been a while since I've seen Diego Luna, but really fell in love with this actor in a movie called E2 Mama Tambien in the early 2000s. Yep, yep. Saw that, and I saw him in Vampires Los Muertos. Uh, that I don't know. Oh, John Bon Jovi in a vampire film? How did you miss it? I think I'm aware of that. John Carpenter was involved, I believe, <laughs> at some point. I know that he wound up having some Havana Nights and Dirty Dancing too, and that pretty much ended his American career. Haven't kept up with him. Uh, the Terminal was a high point with Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg. I don't remember him in it. But uh, I did always like him, and I'm glad to see him back here. I do feel like he is doing a really credible job of out-hawning Harrison Ford. Mm, out-hawning Harrison Ford. I definitely got that they were trying to do that. I feel like they kind of play into the stereotype of a Hispanic person as being a little bit untrustworthy because he's meeting an informant on this the ring of caffeine. I'm trying to do less caffeine these days. <laughs> I need some caffeine to stay awake during this podcast. I've had many cups of caffeine already. <laughs> but when he shoots him in the back, at first I'm like, wait, they don't really show it. They show him like standing behind and then you see a red flash. And I, I think that that's the Disney people like, oh, you can't make it too obvious. No, they totally pull their punch here yeah. because I'm like, wait, did the stormtrooper shoot him? Yes. Or did 
Cassian shoot him. Yes. I didn't think that there was any question that he shot him. I, to me, it was like, oh, this is a guy that we will never ask, would he shoot first? He's established that way. And again, a ladder motif. They've got to get up there. It's not This guy was his friend. He was giving him information. They were supposed to get out together, but he was holding him back because he had a gimpy arm. So he's like, I'm not going to let you ruin my escape. So shoots him so he can take the ladder. Even if the guy had a good arm, I think he would have been shot. He's totally losing it. If you're an informant and being caught means death, I think this is the guy you shoot anyway. But I'm just saying when the blast first hit, I was curious. Yes, when they show him putting his gun away and everything. Yeah, then it's obvious. And I'm thinking this is something that Lucas would never do as he removed Han shooting first. It's nice to see that. But... My immediate question then is, is this character redeemable or did they go too far? That's where I'm at with him. And later on, when we're around the Rebel Alliance, I mean, we're going to have this question. We're going to talk about extremists in a little bit. And I like that we get these different factions, that there's extremists that don't want to work with the Empire. The Rebel Alliance, they seem like they could kind of work with the Empire, you know, before this big fight at the end. But, like, there is mention, like, oh, even as Rebels trying to do something good, trying to bring about freedom and democracy, we've even done awful things that shouldn't be justified. And, and I thought that was an interesting idea. I, I wish there was more than just this scene of Cassarian shooting the mole. Oh, there is. It's going to be a whole subplot of the middle of this movie. Was he going to shoot Jen's dad? I'll talk about it. It doesn't work for me, but we'll get there. Yeah, well, I remember when we were discussing A New Hope, and I mentioned that Lucas wanted it to be a metaphor for Vietnam, and only we were on the Vietnamese side or the side of the Viet Cong. And I think they definitely go back to that here. Yes, the Rebel Alliance are terrorists. And that's long been something that the expanded universe and things delves into by showing propaganda and showing it how the Empire would portray all of this. But yeah, I mean, if they're in a secret base and they're doing assassinations and bombings, the political climate has changed where now we're more terrified by that thought. But that's always been the case. Yeah, and I feel like it's a, it's a part of America's identity, throwing tea in the harbor or what have you. I mean, I think there is a rebellious spirit in America. I think it, it's easy for me in this culture to want to identify with the people that want to overthrow tyranny. That feels a part of my legacy. So I am I never feel challenged that the rebels are maybe too gray, that maybe what they're doing is not correct. I do feel like, yeah. Cassian is a badass character and maybe he'll die for this. That's probably what I was thinking was that, yeah, he's just a little bit too nefarious, too self-serving to be totally redeemed, but he's going to be put in a position like this later and, and won't make the same choice. He has somewhere to go and grow. We'll talk about that when we get there, but I did know coming in, I mean, it was pretty much teased. Not all the characters are going to make it out. I wondered how many would, if any would, but when he does this, I knew he wasn't. My thinking was that Jen would be the only one to get away, that everyone else was pretty much dead meat. She's the only one who had a contract option for another movie. No. Yeah. And in the original cut, she might have. We'll get there. Mm, interesting. But then we got to go to Jeddah. I didn't know that. Is this a obviously <laughs> a, a, a play on Jedi? They have their whole own planet? Well, it's where they get the kyber crystals. And kyber crystals have long been discussed as what powers or the crystal inside the Jedi lightsaber. This goes way back to Lucas's early drafts when A New Hope was all about trying to find the Kyber crystal that Vader had taken from the Bendu Jedi Knights. And I'm interested to see that 
kind of canonized. They also talk about the Guardians of the Wills. This goes way back to that yes. novelization, the Journal of the Wills. I'm like, are they just name dropping or are they going to build something like the story group is like okay we're going to finally reveal what the wills are but not yet help me out so what are they what do we know what is what are you referring to the original star wars was called the journal of the wills like that's what they're reading from oh. as they're telling the star wars story okay yeah and these are the guardians of the wills be that a species be that a document and archive but I looked it up to see if this planet existed anywhere because I know there were Clone Wars episodes where Ahsoka had to teach younglings to mine lightsaber crystals and things. This is new here, but apparently, first of all, there are temples because we see this like downed giant statue of what looks like a Jedi or some cloaked figure. Yeah, he's holding a lightsaber. No, if you didn't mention Alec Guinness <laughs> at the opening, I thought that this was Obi-Wan. <laughs> well, it probably couldn't be as he's been in hiding for 20 years and didn't look that old yet but all sand sculptures of jedi look the same to me yeah what this told me was this happened after that big massacre that all those jedis at one point could live in the open and and have really splashy pimpin palaces and all of that has fallen to ruin now that the empire is mining uh, their temples for crystals yeah this is kind of a new thing that lightsaber crystals power the death star yeah i was not expecting that i'm like huh that are they getting them out in really big uncut form because that's a big old death star but it's like a cheap ring you buy for a girlfriend instead of buying a two carat diamond you buy like a whole bunch of 10th <laughs> carat diamonds that are all together for a total weight of two carats <laughs> <laughs> you sound spoken like somebody that has done that very thing marjorie trek your jewelry <laughs> i think that was an emission right there <laughs> Guess what's under the tree, Marjorie? <laughs> Take it back. Cubic zirconia. No, I'm telling people what not to do. I That was my high school gifts to women, not <laughs> my adult gifts. <laughs> I know. This is where I start losing track of the story is because we've seen Jen. She's out of jail. Cut. We see Cassian doing something. Cut. Now we got like a defected Imperial pilot that's going to meet Saw. I'm like, what is, what, what is the story here? What is going on? Like, so much thrown at you. It is a lot to take in. And what confused me is I didn't realize that was the pilot. I don't know Riz Ahmed. And so there's some cloaked figure behind. I thought the pilot was behind him. And I'm like, oh my God, is the defecting pilot Biggs? Are we going to see Biggs in this? <laughs> and this is the guy who is his liaison to Saw. And then we've got a whole bunch of action figures standing around to take him to Saw. And I'm trying to keep up with who all these people are. And this is where I'm, I'm getting frustrated upon my first watching. Of course, this isn't a movie made for people to watch once. So yeah, you know what? Here's the thing. Uh, they actually, I feel like this is a really good cast. They've gone to people that have done good work in small movies. So I do recognize most everyone in this film and have seen previous work and admired it. I knew Riz from Nightcrawler and the HBO series The Night Of. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I guess we saw him earlier this year in Jason Bourne, but... No, that movie I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I just didn't recognize his face, so... I would think the 
Galactic Empire would have higher grooming standards. He's got like long hair. I'm just, I'm, I'm just looking for someone that looks more military. That's why he quit, Jacob. <laughs> he, he was like, I am not going to put on that stormtrooper helmet. I am not going to wear this outfit. <laughs> I want to be cool. I'm Bodhi, damn it. Plus, I'm still in the mindset that the Imperials only hire white dudes. Yeah, well, they're trying to make that corrective here. I do feel multiculturalism all over this new inroad into the Star Wars universe and appreciate it. I think it helps. I think it's good on the rebel side, but I'm fine with the Imperials being like the Nazis and just going Aryan. Well, they are white in the sense of the stormtroopers. I mean, I do feel like that uniformness is there. And all the officers are white still. And the fact that anytime they hire a minority, they defect. Maybe there's a reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Finn defected. Yeah. But I agree. What I was having trouble understanding here, I mean, I sensed that he was a good character if he was defecting, but then he winds up in the custody of Saw and they do this really weird scene where he's molested by a empathic octopus who's going to determine whether he's telling the truth or not. I thought we moved on from Lynch. I thought we were done with Dune. <laughs> yeah, this thing looked like a rectum with tentacles and I'm like, what is going on here? Saw, he has a breathing mask and there's the boom boom score i'm like i know that's forrest whitaker are you trying to make him seem like darth vader because that bump boom was used a lot in a new hope when vader would show up and you've got him with the breathing mask and a couple of breathing sounds i'm like i'm not scared of forrest whitaker i'm sorry but i know <laughs> this is saw i know he took Jin when she was a little girl so why are you trying to make me scared of him and why is he acting so nuts? I think he had a little too much alone time with that squid because he's yeah. the one who's insane. Yeah, we're told that if it touches you, it'll get the truth out of you, but it might take the, your sanity with it. And so that's, I think, what the tension of the scene is. But yeah, these are both two characters that should be putting aside their differences and working together. They have similar missions. So it's weird to think that it's supposed to feel like a torture scene. Yeah, we'll be told that Saw is an extremist. And again, I like that idea that there are multi-factions of what we would call, I guess, the Rebel Alliance. They're not all aligned yet. And yeah, he takes these extreme measures. He has turned into Darth Vader. I feel like that is a sign of evil in the Star Wars universe is when you are so extreme, your battles have caused you to lose limbs and they're getting replaced with robot parts. Like that is a sign that you're a bad dude or you have bad tendencies. So Luke... Yeah, no, I think that is the thing with Luke. That's his realization when he sees, cuts off Darth Vader's hand and realizes he's all robot there and he looks at his glove. Like, that is a realization that he may be going too far. I'd feel that's the tension in Return of the Jedi. So... What we finally find out here with Bodhi is that indeed he was working right along Jin's dad, Galen, and was given the Death Star plans in a hologram no. form. No, he was not given the Death Star plans. He was given a message. He was given a hologram that does at least convey that the Death Star has a point of weakness then. Yes, he was given the message to get to Saw, to get to Jin. Right. If he'd been given the plans, this whole movie would have ended with a lot less bloodshed. But that's not why Jen gets pulled into this plot. She's pulled into this plot because Cassian and some of the real rebels, the less fringy rebels, are trying to find Saw and need her... No, they know where Saw is, but because he's an extremist... They need her goodwill as a, an ambassador to bridge the difference? Yes, because they know he's an extremist, and so they want someone that he knows to be able to go get that message that was sent. I mean, Mon Mothma kind of infers that his 
skirmishes have caused them problems like they used to be friendly they had a bad breakup and now he's not going to let anyone get near him but Jin can get near him and because the name Urso was given to Andor by his informant as well so they know Galen Urso they know Saw and she is like the perfect person to get to both I guess we needed scenes then with Jin and Saw I needed to understand that they were close at some point. We're told that after the fact, but I don't understand why she would be the best person to get it. Get one of the critters in Jeddah to do this for you. One of the people that throws a bag over your head. They're a better emissary than what she would be. More, what are they offering her? They're like, we'll make sure you go free. You have absolutely no clout. You're the criminals. What <laughs> kind of go free am I getting? They already let her go free. They rescue her. We get a little rescue scene where you get introduced to K2SO, who steals the movie. Yeah, my favorite character in this movie is Alan Tudyk's droid. It actually made me think, with BB-8 and K2SO, I wish Disney could give me humans that I liked as much as their droids. <laughs> Are you saying you want the droids cartoon to come back? If it's K2SO and BB-8, maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I will get some humans that I like in this film, but not yet. They're coming. Yeah, no, I do agree. There's humans I like, just not as much as the droids. But they threaten to put her back in the prison. However, I need to think outside of this movie and realize Mon Mothma is a senator. Baylor Ganna is a senator. They talk about some other senators being there in the alliance. The Senate has not been disbanded. I kind of thought we might get a little bit more Senate stuff as that's coming up. Oh, thank goodness we don't. I'm just saying a couple <laughs> dropped lines here and there like they did in The New Hope. Okay, you you, you don't want to see the, the whole Senate room like in Phantom Menace and all that? Not unless they bring back E.T., but okay. maybe they were going to use political clout to get her charges, get her a pardon or something like that. But it did seem a little bit odd to me that that's what they're dangling. And they're threatening. We're going to put you back in prison if you don't help us. And <laughs> Yeah, we're going to break back into prison and stick you back in that cell. <laughs> it was a work camp, too. And she really does not look like she can do a whole lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, I, I, the whole thing was weird. I didn't mind knowing what put her in the prison. But I did feel like we saw enough close-ups of her friends and comrades that we needed to understand. I mean, there were two people that were also there that we never see again. And I just feel like they, they could have been a part of this team as well. That whoever she Squid was, face. And you think they were her comrades? I thought they were like her cellmates. And I'm like, I'm thinking Shawshank. Like she's got to watch her butt. I mean, they could also be allies. I mean, they could be uh, Morgan Freeman to her. I don't know that <laughs> they have to be scary. And, and, and this anyway, all I'm really saying is it is rather muddy how Jen is brought into this plot and gets muddier for me when she's paired with Cassian, who's given the orders that even though they're going to see Saw, he's got to actually find her dad and kill him. They tell Jen that the, it's a two-part mission. They have to go to Saw because Saw has Bodhi, and Bodhi knows where Galen is. Okay, that was what I was missing. All right, they need the pilot to find out where her father is. Yeah. And then they're going to kill him when they see him rather than bring him back. Okay, I get it now. Yeah, I mean, that that is the tension again, that Cassian, because we saw him kill someone else, that, hey, he's going to be sent to assassinate Galen, which you could play for some nice drama once Jin finds out. I, I don't know if she ever does find out, but he's... She figures it out. Yeah. She does figure it out later. That is true. And she's given a blaster. She steals a blaster. She, they didn't want to give her one. Yeah, she took it. 
it gets a big laugh when K2SO is like, you know, the probability of her using it against you, it's high. And I'm thinking that, yes, she may kill him in order to save her father. The question is, we don't really know what her character is. She's kind of a blank. We didn't see her crimes that put her in there. We've not seen her act selfishly. We know that she has some resentment about her father because when the name comes up, she's obviously prickly about it, but she's that way about everything. She's that way about Saw. She's about that way about her life. I think she's just angry. The point is that she's apolitical. She doesn't want to join the rebels. She wants to be on her own. She mentions that she can ignore the imperial flag. She just keeps her sights low. She doesn't look up. Again, that whole metaphor they're working about up and stairs and all of that. My go-to for her is I think she'd have been right at home at a whole concert in 1994. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, (laughs) I mean, just that kind of... Remember, what were they calling them? Uh, Riot girls? Riot girls? Yeah. Yeah. All ours, yes. Yeah. I See, I don't see that she's particularly badass. You say there might be cuts or parts of the story in which we see her being more abrasive or more threatening. I, I get that they're telling me that. But I never really feel it. Yeah, I, I wish I felt that. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm supposed to get that. Because, yeah, she looks like she's going to a Courtney Love concert. She's got a lot of grit on her. But, yeah, I don't see her do anything badass. I don't see her do anything tough. I mean, I guess she tries to run away during the prison escape. But then a robot just knocks her down. <laughs> Which was pretty funny. I love the his congratulations, you've been rescued. was one of the better lines. Don't try to resist your rescue. Yeah. K2SO, he gets all the great lines. They say has no filter because of his reprogramming. I was really thinking I'm not going to like K2SO. I mean, Alan Tudyk is an actor I've liked in a lot of stuff, but another droid after... I was a little skeptical about BB-8 too, but no, he does get all the good lines here. They do go to Jetta together where we get two more tagalongs, Chirrut Imwa and Baze Malbus, former Guardians of the Wills. I'm excited about Donnie Yen being in this film. It's one of the things in that first trailer. I'm like, oh, we're getting Kung Fu Jedi? That's awesome. And Donnie Yen, I mean, I think the last movie I saw of his is called Kung Fu Jungle or on Netflix. I think they call it Kung Fu Killers. Very silly movie, but great martial arts. Yeah, I don't know who this guy is. I know of the Ip Man series. I think I'm saying that correctly. Yes, IP Man. Yeah, I thought it was IP, like Internet Protocol, maybe? Uh, Not Internet Protocol, but IP, yes. (laughs) Intellectual Property Man. I've heard of that series. I'm not against watching that series, but I don't know this actor. But yeah, my favorite character in this universe is this Zatu. I call him Zatuichi. I can't pronounce his real name, but this is a classic. We've seen this character. The Blind Samurai is Japanese legend. I know this actor thanks to Blade 2 and Shanghai Nights, but... Yeah, I know he's in those films too. I was trying to name better ones. <laughs> well, those are the ones I've seen him in. I was a little skeptical about killing stormtroopers with a bow staff, but he is awesome here. He is... My favorite human character, he actually has a good sense of humor. They're going to put a bag over his head. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm blind. Yes. He smashes a stormtrooper's foot. Is your foot okay? And his constant, almost it was like a rap. Like you could put a song to, I'm one with the force. The force is with me. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. So he is a good badass. Yeah, it should be clarified. He is not a Jedi, but he does believe in the Force. Like, I guess Jedi are gone, but he's trying to tap into the Force, I feel. Like, he just needs to go to Dagobah and take some lessons from Yoda, and he would be a Jedi. Yeah, he's Force-sensitive. Yeah, he's not a Jedi because Jedis are outlawed at this point. But I, my sense is that he, in all other ways, is. Yeah, he uses the Force, but... 
I think they want to keep this to be a struggling band. So the force allows him to see and to dodge bullets, but he can't like pick people up and throw them and call weapons to his hand and sense the future very much. But he's Jedi enough. And his bow staff does turn into a gun. Something very un-Jedi-like. I didn't notice that. It does? Yeah, during the final fight. Yeah, he, there's a few times where he reveals it. He like It comes out like an umbrella or something. It turns into a giant crossbow like Chewie has. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I, I missed that detail. What I noticed is that he does have gun backup with him all the time. And that I think it is kind of like a, a nice pairing that he has a non-believer, I think. Uh, a, a more common man, and his, whose name I also struggle with. Baze Malbus? <laughs> Bays. Just call him Bays. Okay. okay. Bays and Chirrut are easy. If you start getting into these last names, it does get a little harder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But and you know what? I feel with Bays and Chirrut, like that is where we're getting some core like Star Wars characters. It, it's Han and Luke. One believes in the Force. One doesn't. They play off of each other. It's if Han and Luke were a couple, maybe. Yeah. I get the sense they are. Maybe not romantically, but these uh... people—they've been together for a long time, traveling the universe. I, I know Disney. I know that, like you said, they're trying to be more inclusive, and this is their way of inserting the first gay relationship into Star Wars in a way that's subtle enough to not piss off the right wing, and I think it's good to have them there. I like them, but I think it's pretty obvious they're a romantically linked couple. I get that halfway through the movie when he's like, I don't need luck, I have you, and then the way they die holding each other, they're a couple. I just took him as bros. I didn't read that. I took him as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You're reading that in there, and it, and it's fine. It may it, It's a reading that works, but I mean, I've seen Japanese samurai movies where they hold each other and yeah you could say that they're all homoerotic we could we could say oh they're always gay but i don't think that that is necessarily the trojan horse being snuck in here but it it works for me if that's the reading great i thought nobody could walk out without that reading i thought it was that blatant i'm like but i mean i'm and don't get me wrong i don't think it's a bad thing i think it's just a subtle way of introducing same-sex relationships to star wars (laughs) well we never see them have sex so it's really subtle I said relationship, not, you know, I don't want to see anybody have sex. I don't want to see Han and Leia have sex, but we assume they did. They have kids. Right. But you know what? I wish that Jin and Cassian had this kind of banter. So yeah. I feel like these two feel like Star Wars, where they got the banter going back and forth. Again, they're not deep characters, blind kung fu master and dude with giant gun it's enough character for this kind of sci-fi action film that i know who they are and i could get into them i don't need deep characterization with everyone right but i do wish the main characters were fleshed out a bit more like these two i really felt like they were picking up on some of the lord of the Rings stuff where you had the elf and gimli constantly going back and forth yeah that i got a little bit out of this it's a trope yeah yeah and you're exactly right we should always have supporting characters that we have affection for that are just given enough detail that's all we need the problem is the center of this movie are two actors that are good but two characters that aren't making much impression and why they get picked up for the ride i mean at one point cassian says to jen we're not here to make friends now i'm gonna go off and talk to this person who absolutely matters not at all while you stay and talk to this blind guy who wants your kyber necklace and then we're going to take them on all of the rest of our missions because we're not here to make friends i okay well they didn't want to stay on a planet that's gonna blow up or in a city i guess that's gonna blow up well they take time away from this to do a joke i think i think we run into some characters that are gonna end up in uh the cantina right 
Okay, I, I got continuity problems here. Dr. Evazan and Panda Baba, they're going to be on this planet, Jeddu, at the top of this temple where there's this, like, whole village that we're going to see blown up. Were they, like, on their way? Like, how did they get to Tatooine? Like, this is the one thing that really bugged me the whole film. More importantly, why are they so argumentative that everybody who brushes their shoulder <laughs> they want to kill? They play the exact same beats. He's got a, what, a, a death warrant on 16 planets or whoever i don't remember the exact line but yeah death mark on 12 systems but i thought this might be one of them i thought maybe he would only have the death mark on 11 systems before this okay <laughs> this is again somebody sitting in the room like hey we need to throw some cameos in here that people from the original films will like listen if you gave me control of a star wars film i'm gonna find a way to put greedo in it if it's a sequel and he's dead i'm still gonna find a way to put greedo in it maybe gareth edwards just loved his walrus man figure as a kid okay but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense look this film does open up by like zooming in on a glass of blue milk yeah but blue milk is everywhere we saw that again with young annie too and helped with that i actually just got a good laugh out of this i i, I did wonder i'm like i guess they got off the planet right away they're on their way to a, some kind of starcraft they were probably but... raising their drinks to like can you believe we survived that shit <laughs> <laughs> and then Obi-Wan and Luke walk in. Well, here's how far I was into it. I'm like, I think that's them, but I'm not sure. And since other people are laughing and applauding at the sight of them, I have to believe that they're characters we've seen before. But I wasn't even so certain that it was the same ones. But it is. You're telling me that these guys are, are on their way to their ship and are just about to go for drinks. Mm -hmm. But this is where we get our first real action scene. I guess we got a little jailbreak earlier in the film but now we're gonna get these extremists attacking the galactic empire that they're trying to get off planet with some more kyber crystals and man i really like this battle it feels unlike any other star wars fight that i've seen yeah this rebel group i think we get another callback to warwick davis who's always worked in the star wars universe playing different characters he's the little man right yeah he's like this little furry terrorist that's adorable yeah, he's cute. Yeah. I like him. There's two that I like in here, and they both have, like, weird coconut heads. And this is where I really got the Vietnam vibe. You've got a tank rolling through a city. You've got occupation going on. And you've got a whole bunch of people off to the side about to set some bombs off. Were there tanks in Vietnam? I don't think of it as tanks. I guess there were, but it's... I got World War II more than Vietnam. See, and I, I was thinking more current. I mean, we're on a sand planet. You think about occupation and people with head coverings going on in this in this city. It, it does feel like they're trying to do something very contemporary. And just the way it's shot, is, it's just very gritty feeling to me. I'll agree with that. And But we got to show that Jin's a good person. She's going to risk her life to save a little girl like she was because the girl's mother is too afraid and... That shows you how desperate they are to make Jen have an impact on the audience. That they have to go to that, to me, says, oh, we're not doing our job selling the star of this movie. If they have to go to a silly, like, oh, crying, let me do this while other yeah. people are doing things. While we have the cool Swordsmaster and all of that other stuff, where people are being real badasses, that we have to do this, to me, feels like, man, we are just letting Felicity Jones down at every turn. And she's a good actress, too. Yeah. I think she does fine with this role. I do think it is the script or the edit is letting her down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I just feel like she's the least interesting thing. And this is the same director as Godzilla, the Godzilla 
reboot remake that came out a few years ago that we reviewed. And I feel like that had similar problems. <laughs> like when you get cool monster scenes, it's really fun. When you have to care about the main characters, eh, not so much. And there was even the rescue the child needless scene. Yeah. I like the supporting characters in Godzilla, but yeah, they always had a yes. central <laughs> character. He's completely fine with having a movie being carried by a blank. And I think that that's what we're getting here is just sort of an every woman that is bad enough that we get that she has some grit, but really doesn't have a story of her own. I think the one thing where they had creative license to be really free is to tell us all sorts of things about her. But it's just sort of this boring, I love my dad and I'm angry that he was taken away from me. And I thought they could have gone different places with this. I think... Someday, and it's not going to be the Han Solo solo film, but someday we're going to have a character who has parents and an interesting story. Yeah, I would like to see that story. I do feel like it's it's very relatable to these days. I mean, I do feel like people stay friends with their parents and in close communication. So, yeah, let's think outside the box. Plus, she's got two father figures. She also is reunited here with Saw, and we see that she's angry at him, too, because he, he left her at a an impressionable age again it's not these men's fault one was hijacked away to work on the death star and the other did it to protect her from being sold as a hostage well in saw look i love forrest whitaker think he's a great actor he's like totally selling me that he is scared that Jin has showed up to assassinate him because he's like oh all these things happening on the same day you're here to kill me I wish I felt that tension that Forrest Whitaker is feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes me feel he's insane and paranoid because there's nothing to indicate that except for the lines he's given. And I'll be honest, this is the scene that made me rush out to buy that book on Kindle. I couldn't even wait for it to be shipped. I had to see if there was stuff cut out of this. And if it was, it was also cut out of the book. Mm. But... It felt like there were huge leaps in logic going on here. Meanwhile, where is the dad? I We aren't really seeing him. She's going to see a hologram of him. But we are going to see his captor in little intercut scenes, most of which don't mean a whole lot until we get to Peter Cushing. Oh, my God. This was an awful idea. Whoever thought instead of recasting or they brought back actors from episode three. They didn't digitize Mon Mothma from... Return of the Jedi and put her in episode three or in this. There was a Moff Tarkin in episode three. Whoever thought, let's not get that actor back. Let's not recast the role. Let's put in a character from Toy Story here and paste his face on it. <laughs> this was eerie. This wasn't an uncanny valley. This was an uncanny canyon in which I could bullseye womp rats in a T-16 because the T-15s are now obsolete. Well, I, I don't know. I know a lot of people have a problem with this and a scene at the end. I, I didn't really... They, did, did they totally just CGI his face? I thought they might have done some prosthetics. They CGI'd his entire body. That was not a real body. That was not a real face. I could tell, and I had to do some quick research to validate what I already knew. The, he's too glossy. His mouth doesn't move right. He moves too quick sometimes. I just saw Moana in theaters and... It had that kind of sometimes rapid movement. Listen, it in a still, it looks pretty good. When he's moving, can you hand me my PlayStation 4 controller? The level's about to start. 
I didn't have too much of a problem with it. I, I'm glad Tarkin's here. Yeah. Could they have used an actor? Sure. Why not? I, I you know, Peter Cushing's great, but different generation than me. I, I, don't, I don't have a whole lot of allegiance to him. But I'm glad we're getting a Tarkin story here. The voiceover actor's piss poor, too. He does not trill his R's properly. You know, here's the thing. I thought they were going to... It surprised me that they did it at all, because the scene starts with Tarkin looking out the window, and we just kind of see a faint you know, reflection of his face on the glass. I thought that was all we were going to get. We were going to see the important characters in the background. Maybe we'd get like a a bit of Darth Vader, you know, walking past in a hall or the Emperor <laughs> at a long distance. I thought we would see these characters, but we would never get close enough to see that they aren't the actors that played them before. <laughs> you thought they were going to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead this thing? Maybe, yeah. I thought that they could could do that, that suddenly the extras are the stars and we were just replaying the movie as before. But no, when he turns around and he delivers it, we're not quite there yet. You know, he looks more ready to ride the Polar Express than for me to believe that he's <laughs> photorealistic. But I do feel like it's always exciting to see where technology is. And and one day we will laugh at this, but I think they're getting closer. I mean, but this is what you feared about the prequel, Stuart, is that they didn't need actors. They could just recreate them with computers. Oh, it's bad news for actors in general. And, and certainly strange to think that we could have a movie one day starring Humphrey Bogart or, you know, <laughs> Jimmy Stewart and all of our old, you know, icons could come back from the grave. But... It's also interesting to know what we can do with technology, and I think that we're seeing that we're getting closer. The line from Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park just ran through my head. They were so busy thinking what they could do, they didn't stop and think if they should. And I'm not even talking from a moral grounds. I'm talking from, this doesn't look right. But he's not the main villain. I mean, if we didn't have Ben Mendelsohn's character, th then it would be a problem. If it was always this Peter Cushing CGI creation, that would be really distracting. We only get maybe, what, three scenes of him, and he's always writing... Kranich to he's basically taking over his project you did all the hard work and now i'm going to take it away from you and i want to see what it can do and we're going to blow up jetta city yeah this is how you become a grand moth yeah i worked with some managers like this at wells fargo too so this is why i like this stuff yes it does remind me of like the kind of management fights that go on in business and tarkin is really kind of homicidal here not once but twice he's like hey this is our occupied city let's destroy it Oh, interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. But yeah, they do control it. They are killing their own people to a certain extent. But then again, Tarkin doesn't strike me as someone that thinks about people underneath his command. They they can die. They do show them pulling out very quickly, and they say that the forces are out of Jeddah. They don't say that later on with Scarif, but... Mm. And, and the whole reason Tarkin wants to test it right now is because of, well, I think he always wants to put down... Krennic, and they there are rumors that Galen might have sabotaged it. So they're gonna they're not gonna do a full test. They're just gonna do like a, a little mini atom bomb test on Jeddu and single reactor firing. Krennic's like, let's take out the whole moon. We can do the whole moon, and <laughs> <laughs> we want a statement, not a manifesto. Later on, Vader's gonna be pissed. Like we can't have a Death Star. We have to cover this up and say it's a mining accident. What is going on in the Imperial ranks that they can't get their story straight? <laughs> well, because you have all this infighting, which I like. I That's always been a Star Wars thing is who's backstabbing who. You can only have two Sith, so they're killing each other. Uh, that, that's the fun of it. Yeah. Listen, a week later, they're blowing up Alderaan, a planet with no weapons. Here, they're like, we have to 
have a cover story. This is just... But super quick, they're going to dissolve the Senate because, like, that happens by the time uh, A New Hope comes around, and this ends right at A New Hope. Yeah, I guess you're right. That it would... I mean, there is no delay here. This is... Star Wars, A New Hope is happening next week? Is that what you're telling me? Pretty much. I'm saying from the time they blew up Jedha to the time they blew up Alderaan, yeah, what? A week? Yeah, maybe 14 days. <laughs> wow, I, okay. That really does put it in perspective. I gotta agree with Krennic, though. Beautiful. Beautiful destruction. When you watch it, I don't think about the loss of life. I just think, wow, what a spectacle. As we watch that amazing city, just literally, it's in slow motion almost. It's like this slow expanding, not quite a mushroom cloud, just sort of a uh, ever-bubbling dome of, of dust and death. Yeah, that is great. It reminded me, though, now we're in a disaster movie. Once they fire that, we get to see it planet side, which I love, but it's this massive explosion that you have to escape. And it's like, okay, we're in 2012 or the day after tomorrow or one of those disaster flicks. Mm -hmm. Well, I I don't know if we want to compare it to those, (laughs) but I do agree. Yes, we are in a disaster flick. I do love the way, you know, after everyone escapes, they're going to show that scene where like you see the dust rising up and almost touching the Death Star. Just a beautiful shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder if it could, if it has enough propulsion to go out into space, but that was cool. And You say it's slow motion, and I agree, but I have to remind myself that when dealing with things of this scale, that it's just so much is moving that it's really quick if you're at it, but if it's a ways away, it's coming. And here Saw decides, like, nah, you guys go, I'm going to martyr myself, I'll just stay here and watch my death come. I I could get on the ship, but... He can't run with those robot feet. Yeah, I took it as that, I mean, yes, you're right. There is no role for him in the story should he make it. If he were sitting in the ship, they'd probably push him off because like, (laughs) no, you're dead meat. You're supposed to die. I will feel better knowing that you're dead. But I do think that, you know, what they've given it is that he cannot run to the ship the way that they're going to. And maybe he's ready for it. I get the sense that on some level, he's just tired of fighting. He's done what he can do. It is for a new generation to take up the fight. It just reminded me of Hardware Wars. All right, you martyr. See ya. (laughs) But now the crew is together. They do take Bodhi and they take the two guardians of the wills. And now we've got our crew of six that's going to go on their mission. The dirty half dozen. (laughs) Here here is probably, I, I don't know, maybe the biggest plot concern, I'll say for me, is Cassian has seen the Death Star. There's all these rumors about this weapon, that Galen's working on this weapon. We got to kill Galen to stop this weapon being made. Cassian's seen the weapon. He's seen it works. And he still wants to go kill Galen. Like he's the Rebel Alliance still wants to kill Galen. Like that's still their goal. Like it's too late for that. You got to come up with plans to destroy the Death Star. I agree. This is a big problem I have with Act 2 is that there's all of this internal debate about what they should do. Is there even a Death Star? Should we be worried about it? I feel like this is a very strange conflict. We know that the cover story, that was no mining accident. We know that this was the death planet that was being rumored about. And we know that... Just ask Walrus Man. Well, yeah, you can. <laughs> you can go to the bar and just don't touch him. Or Cassian, who you they, they, they trust. Yeah. They trust people who saw this happen and they still don't want to... I, I don't know. I don't understand this part. I don't know what you get by killing Galen at this point unless it's just retribution. And they don't seem to have that in their heart. They're doing it because they think that that will prevent the Death Star from being used again, I guess. And they called it a planet killer. It only destroyed a city. Maybe they don't realize that they just hadn't cranked it up to 11 yet. 
but it all is going to transpire on Edu, which is where Galen has been held this whole time in a Kyber refinery plant. He and the engineers are hauled out that we had seen Krennic trying to basically find out who amongst them was the traitor, knowing full well, knowing exactly that it was Galen. He's not stupid. He just wants to see if he can get Galen to break and and how far he could go. And I think he just wanted to kill all the engineers anyway and cover their tracks. (laughs) They have what they need. Well, also just punishment as well, punishment. Galen said in his message, and I kind of liked it, he's like, the Empire didn't need me. But I made them convinced that they did need me, and I played this role really well, and I think he's done such a good job. Krennic thinks he can't kill Galen, but he can hurt Galen by killing all his co-workers. But this is supposed to be a moment for Jen, right? Jen has got a gun. I know the Aerosmith song, but I just, I am not paying (laughs) attention to her when she's coming back for Papa and trying to do, you know, the X-Wings are going to fly in here. It's a big, spectacular battle. How do those X-Wings, they bomb that platform, but still somehow misses Krennic's ship? It's a big old ship sitting there, and they just get in and fly away. That that was a little weird. Yeah, and it's a big moment for Andor, too, because he's got to pull the trigger or not. You know, is he going to follow orders, or is he going to realize killing Galen is a stupid thing? Why does he realize killing Galen is a stupid thing? I wish yeah. I understood his motivation there. I On the first time watching it, because to follow through on this, Cassian and Bodhi go out because Cassian doesn't know what Galen looks like. And so Bodhi needs to point him out, hey, that's Galen. And then Jin goes out because Chirrut has this great moment, the force moves darkly around one who's going to kill. So she's figured out Cassian's real mission. Yeah. And then Chirrut and Bays go out because Jin's there. And K2SO has the great line, if Cassian comes back, we're just leaving them. <laughs> <laughs> All of this happens. And I thought maybe Chirrut was channeling the force to bring... Cassian Calm or something, but on three viewings, it's not sold to me. They don't cut to Chirrut meditating and then back to Cassian. I don't get why he doesn't pull the trigger. No, there's no discussion between Cassian and Jin about why he should let him go. I don't know. I, I don't get this. I actually thought, oh, maybe he will shoot him, and that's that's going to lead. Again, I'm going off these trailers I saw where they almost imply that like something really bad is going to happen to Jin, and she might go to the dark side. And So I'm waiting for that moment. We're not going to get it, though. She does have the Force with her, right? I mean, it's not just a crystal. At one point later, when they have to break into the next planet, I think her wish, making a wish on that crystal actually changes the behavior of the enemy and they and they're allowed through right she has magical power she has the force i didn't take it that she ever had the force i got the sense that latent undisciplined she obviously doesn't have the training but she has the necklace <laughs> maybe that's all that's required here go, kids you can buy it for yourself go on the internet um it's part of the marketing <laughs> but i it, it feels like because she wears the jewelry she has you know the desire and the wish Maybe some of these things happen because of that. And maybe she changes his mind because she knows his plan and and is able to, I don't know. I I thought maybe it was the Force working on him. I never got any of that. I never got that anybody has the Force except Chirrut and, of course, Vader. And I do love the moment with Chirrut where it's either the Force or just because he has super good Daredevil hearing. Where, like, (laughs) this is where he reveals his staff is actually a gun. And he takes out that TIE fighter, which takes out, like, everything else. Oh, yeah. Okay, you're right. uh, Yeah, I didn't put it together that was the staff, but he does have that cool move. It's a good fight. I like seeing 
the X-Wings come in here and it's the rebels that kill Galen and mm-hmm. Jin knows it. Yeah. I found that to be an interesting twist. And this goes back to our earlier discussion. Like the rebellion's going to say, oh yeah, we know we've done bad things. I, I'm guessing this is what you're saying is that other one. I just don't feel it because I don't understand why they're going after Galen at this point. And they try to pull out. I mean, I don't understand why Cassian messages Rebellion HQ and is like, Jin's on the platform! Don't attack! Why does he care about her? He's killed informants before. No, all of a sudden he cares about her at this point. And they're like, oh, they're already engaged. But that general who was telling Cassian to kill Galen is trying to pull them back and all of this. It's muddy. That's how I could say about this whole story is I get it. I understand what's happening, but the whys are very muddy. And you know what? I think that's the case with A New Hope, too. I've just seen that 200 times. Yeah, maybe if you look at anything long enough, you're going to see cracks and fissures. I guess what I am sensing is that at some point... Uh, there was the idea that Cassian and Jen had a love story. Yeah. That by working together and collaborating, he started to fall for her and maybe hearing stories about her being separated from the dead was an idea in his head as well. That he didn't pull the trigger even though he knew he should for the mission. He didn't pull it for her is kind of what I get. I would have liked that. And there's some hints to that. They, like, kind of hold hands. Kind of, yeah, at the end. On the other hand, I'm kind of glad not everything is a romance movie, but... Yeah, I'm glad we didn't get a full-on romance here. But I needed some motivation, maybe a good speech or something. Something in her to inspire him to be a better person, to convince him there's another way. Or a romance if you want to be lazy and shorthanded, but something. It just becomes a moment in which, yet again, our two star characters seem like the least impactful of the universe, and that's too bad. I also don't think that this death scene is that great either. I like Mads, but I have so much to tell you. Ugh! And falling over is just (laughs) not bringing tears to my eyes. Couldn't he just say small air ventilation shaft, like, so they don't have to go to Scarab? Small (laughs) ventilation port right below the main port. (laughs) (laughs) But still, even with all this, nobody believes him. We're going to get into a whole lot of bureaucracy now. Not as much as episode one, but quite a bit as Krennic has to go crawling back to the Imperials, trying to get his position of power back, while Jin and... Cassian and this new rogue group all go and deal with some squabbling rebels who still aren't sure that taking action is the right thing to do. This whole thing, there's so much that bothers me. First of all, earlier we saw what I just have to assume was a CGI insert of Bail Organa because he doesn't say anything, nobody looks at him. No, Jimmy Smith is on set. It's like, hey, we have Jimmy Smith here for reshoots. Let's paste him into this scene. (laughs) But then there's this whole debate among all these people who I don't know. They're senators and rebellion leaders and Admiral Raddus. Don't forget him. Yeah, Admiral Raddus with his big waddly chin. <laughs> We've never seen him before, right? That's he's just part of the Akbar. What, what, no, what is th- this is who Akbar takes over for when he dies. Oh. And if this is the rebellion, if they have such shambles of leadership, God, no wonder there's a resistance and the Empire still lived after they took over. Can you imagine Mon Mothma's government after Return of the Jedi? <laughs> well, that, that's why we get the Force Awakens. They still haven't taken over. <laughs> yeah, they're horrible here. They can't. And I'm just going to call out one technical thing that this movie does horribly. <laughs> Whoever Gareth Edwards, like, I think he brought in maybe his childhood friends to 
do some like background voiceover work. What is she saying we do? Let her talk. These are horrible. And later when they're jumping off a ship for Jetta, it's like, oh boy, these are bad. Go, go get the cast of Rebels or something. Spoken like someone that's seen this movie three times. Didn't notice any of <laughs> yes. that, but I thought this movie technically is really unassailable. I mean, the one thing you can say about it, maybe the story didn't need to be told, but boy, is it beautiful to watch. I do think... Except for Tarkin, yeah. Like, well, yeah. I, I, you, the, it is questionable whether they can reanimate the dead, but in all other ways... <laughs> or Carrie Fisher. That, well, that's true. She's not dead. <laughs> but does need some reanimation. Gareth Edwards, I do feel like his real successes, the two movies that I've seen other than this, is that technically they're always great. I never really liked the story that much. Godzilla 2014 or Monsters didn't quite go with it. But I do think that he takes whatever budget he's given, whether it's large or small, and gets it all on the screen. I'll agree. ILM is good here. I was just, just some of the sound mixing i'm like something was off with that but yeah we've got imperial squabbling rebel squabbling i'm like it's brief and that's its benefit if it wasn't so brief we're right back in phantom menace we need proof that there's actually a invasion going on on naboo thing again yeah have nemoidians infiltrated the rebel alliance (laughs) their kinds of demands for evidence yeah and Jin. I wish I understood her character motivation a little bit more. The rebels just killed her father, and she got into a blow-up with Cassian on the ship, and Cassian did give a little bit of a speech about choosing to be involved, but all of a sudden, she's go-rah-rah-rebel, and so she's going to get in front of all the rebel leaders while they're squabbling and give this rousing speech. It's one of two rousing speeches she's going to give in quick succession. I don't know when she went from criminal to speechwriter, but she pulled it off. Off. And here, though, she's plagiarizing her speech, I guess. She's going to steal Cassian's line about rebellions are built on hope. But despite all her impassioned pleas, the rebels are like, nah, we're just not going to come to consensus. Jin, Churret, Baze, and Bodhi are all like, well, we're, we're going to go rogue. Mm-hmm. That's where they get the name. We finally understand if if we didn't know it going into the movie. And I don't think I would have if I didn't podcast with you guys. But yes, they call themselves Rogue One because they need to have some kind of name for when they take off for the call sign. I'm looking forward to the sequel Rogue Two, which is all about that overweight pilot that finds Han on Hoth. <laughs> They'll probably make it. You joke, but I mean, I feel like they got big plans, and I feel like we will find out about the show. There'll be a cooking show about what does the emperor eat. You know, it's all coming. That's the Star Wars special, right? We had a cooking segment there. That's the right. Special. Whatever that was, uh, we'll be coming back. Bantha loin. Yeah. Mm. Or if you're cheaper, the bantha rump. <laughs> But the whole rogue group, I mean, they are joined by other rebels. There are other rebels that do believe in their cause, and they're going to stuff that ship that they stole from the last planet as full as they can and all go to scare them. <laughs> I like that Bodhi says, we'll be cramped, but we can do it. I do love that they brought back the 70s mustache for all these people, too, because it's supposed to lead right into a 77 film. Yeah, we, we haven't really said it, but all this rebel stuff is going on on y- Yavin 4, which is where, yeah, they're going to take off for that Death Star strike in the next film. And I do think they did a pretty good job recreating all that. They still have the guy with the speedometer up in the tower. Yes, I always wondered what that guy did. They don't explain it here, but we see him again. Oh, we've been here before? I feel like I had never seen the Aztec temples before. No, this is where the rebels take off to go blow up the Death Star at the end of A New Hope. Huh, okay. 
This is where the medal ceremony is, I'm guessing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now I definitely know where I'm at. And they have a couple cameos. Now, I understand, but three watchings, I've not caught it, that there's two Rebels tie-ins here. Over the intercom, somebody's calling for General Sindula, which is Hera from the TV show. I guess she got a promotion. And apparently we can see the astromech droid Chopper from the Rebels series somewhere here. Three watchings. I haven't caught him. Nobody screen capped him for the online yet. But there's that. What I did notice was a completely gratuitous R2 and 3PO cameo. Scarif, you gotta have an R two C three. This was the first time there was an actual like applause for a character intro in the in the viewing I saw. Panda Baba didn't get one, but C R two D two and C three PO they the crowd cheered for them. In my viewing, when Panda Baba showed up, when three PO showed up, when Tarkin showed up, if it was from the original trilogy, there was applause, and that was it. It was almost like playing an instrument. You bring back something old, noises. It's not always applause. Vader got a lot of whoop, whoop. I don't know what that meant, but there was a lot of whoops for Vader. But <laughs> Are you, Did it sound electronic, like a droid malfunctioning? <laughs> or were they going like Arsenio? <laughs> no, it wasn't Arsenio. It was very much like a... Uh, it, 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 the register goes up. It's like whoop. Yeah, so I guess if that's droid to you, I, I don't know why they did that but it but it would happen in one area and then someone else picked it up behind me and and, and it was a, quite a few whoops when we got to mustafar i started acting like a five-year-old like Marjorie, Marjorie, it's mustafar, it's mustafar. <laughs> well that yeah in my crowd they didn't cheer for vader but you could see people like getting excited that we're on mustafar yeah oh yeah i mean it and it is it's a moment that you adjust in your seat i i definitely feel like it played in the same way as like when we watched that hobbit prequel and and Gollum finally showed up yeah yeah it was like oh yes but finally like the badass we've been wanting to see and yeah I think this movie knows how to play those moments the best they know how to do the old characters better than they know how to play the new characters but am I the only one annoyed by like the continuity here Mon Mothma never leaves Yavin but yet she wasn't there when the Death Star attacked she wasn't there for the medal ceremony Bale is there and he's like, well, I have to get back to Alderaan, but I'm going to do some winking lines about my daughter. 3PO and R2 are like, Scarif, we're going to Scarif. And I guess it's because there's never been a Star Wars movie without them in it. And so we're going to just shoehorn them into every scene. I like seeing them. I wish that there was just a reason. Like they were... Maybe they were indicating Leia was going to show up later. I don't know. Well, yeah, I think they were. And again, you had Bail Organa going, oh, wink, wink. I know someone to give this stuff to that's very trustworthy. Yeah, he, they're going to call up his Jedi friend who's been in hiding since the Emperor's Great Purge. So, I, and don't get me wrong. I like the linkages. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's fun to see how the decision is made to call on Obi-Wan. And I like seeing Jimmy Smith's back. I think he's a good actor and he delivers all of his lines with an authority and yet not overly serious. I like his Bail Organa. I did in the prequels. I do here. I, you know what? And I didn't remember him having a line, but I did notice <laughs> that he was here and thought, hey, we're tying to the prequels yet again. Didn't think they'd do it. And if you're going to tie connections between the films, again, I think the prequels, they overstepped and made the universe too small. I don't mind these little ones like, oh, yeah, we know Obi-Wan's going to get a message from someone that's very trustworthy. So, yeah, I, I get that you would have this line in here because that's going to lead directly into the next movie. It doesn't make it feel smaller. It just makes it feel more connected. Only Walrus Man makes this universe feel like we're bumping into each other. Yes, I agree. 
I still don't know how they got off Jeddu in time. <laughs> and the same thing with the Imperials, because after this is when Krynek is going to go see Vader, and he's living in a castle on Mustafar, which is awesome. I do love that. Oh, so amazing. I knew we were on Mustafar because they didn't put a, a title card to tell you what planet we're on, which they do for every other planet. I'm like, oh, lava, castle. Not every other one. Yeah, not the opening planet, I guess. And there's a scene, Jin has a flashback to her dad being friends with Krennic on Coruscant, so needless insertion. But, Stuart, I bet you don't know this, and why I had a total geekgasm in theaters, but Return of the Jedi was not going to take place originally on a Death Star, and it was going to be in Darth Vader's castle on a lava planet, and there was even concept art of this castle on this lava planet and now they've realized it and it was always such a cool idea that i love that he's there i don't necessarily like that he's taking a bath i love that he's in a bakta tank and like those weird imperial dignitaries that we see in return of the jedi like one of them comes up and is like there's someone here to see you oh i thought that might have been snoke but (laughs) i don't know why imperial guards who guard the emperor are standing around watching vader bathe because he's really vulnerable at that point. He's got no arms or legs. Yeah, get get some troopers or something. That's who he commanded. But I really wondered if it was going to be Hayden because they tease us with his face as the water drains. We're like, did they get Hayden back? Did they get Hayden back? Uh, we're going to use some smoke to obscure his face. They didn't get Hayden back. Yeah, they've definitely tied into episode three. That was something that I thought the new movies wouldn't do. I think J.J. Abrams said he was abandoning some of the concepts, like midichlorian and all that. I thought that maybe we would never go back to this lava planet again, but this is exactly where Darth Vader lost his limbs, right? He just yes. built the castle right next to where, where he became an amputee, and... <laughs> Yeah, I just, I was like, oh, wow, we're really, we're going to make it official. We're going to tie the new movies to the old. I thought that that was an impressive move. I think they always plan to do it, but it's a delicate dance. Tied to the stuff that was cool. It's all continuity because it was from George Lucas and we can't disrespect him too much. But Jar Jar Midichlorians, let's not ever speak of them again. Yeah, we may never see a Gungan again. I I agree. That may be like Marvel putting Howard the Duck in the movie. (laughs) Which they did. (laughs) But what I like is when they take these little things like Journal of the Wills and they throw out Guardians of the Wills and they got this, you know, something that happened in a, a... pre-production version of A New Hope, like Darth Vader in his lava castle. Like, I do like that they're giving little nods to all these things that were once ideas for Star Wars. Even kyber crystals. Yeah, I mean, we see one around Jin's neck. She's wearing one. But Arnie, you got problems with Tarkin. Darth Vader doesn't have his shoulder pads on when he's meeting with Krennic here. And he makes him look weird. It makes him look small. Like, his mask, If I feel like they're trying to make this mask look like the New Hope one with the red eye lenses. It's dull. It's not that shiny, glossy version that we'll see later on. He just looks so diminutive here, though, because he doesn't have those shoulder pads on. He's. It's like he's just got his bathrobe on because he just got out of the bath. <laughs> Is that what's going on? There was something about that costume. I was drawn to the neck. I'm like, something's not quite right. He dressed in a hurry? Yes, that's why. I felt it too, yeah. Without knowing any of what you're talking about, I felt like he didn't look quite the same as I remembered. He looks different at the end of this film. Like, he looks like Vader, but here, yeah, he threw on the bathrobe. Okay. He sounds like the Vader I know, though, and I was really impressed and glad to know that James Earl Jones is still alive to deliver what, come on, are a little bit of corny lines, but we love hearing them. 
Come on, you say it sounds like Vader. Vader never made Freddy Krueger-like puns. Don't <laughs> choke on your aspirations, director. <laughs> that was awful. I agree. That was too much. But again, I was I was so glad to hear the authenticity of the voice. I didn't mind that the message was a little silly, which might be my review of the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> I want to call out, I love Ben Mendelsohn's performance, though, because he's just, he sells me on the happiness. So you'll talk to the emperor? Yes. I'm in charge? Yeah, I mean, that, that again, that is the stuff <laughs> I really enjoy with this infighting. Yeah. And that Vader's like, nah, you got to do this really bad, like, secretarial job of going through all the data transmissions to make sure Galen never sent anything. Like, he gets the worst, like, task to try to keep this position. Yeah, I have some empathy for him as someone that has worked in corporate America. You do want to make an impression and you do try to do your best and yeah the way that he's just hoping that maybe the emperor knows who he is and 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 vader will speak kindly to him if he doesn't crush his larynx is funnier than the joke that's being delivered i agreed (laughs) vader's also not on board with this death star thing not only is there a cover-up he's like it's proven its usefulness at being a problem the emperor's big toy that's been being built for 20 years and vader doesn't seem that on board yeah no that's gonna be Death Star 1, <laughs> wherever they go to all the problems they've had for 20 years trying to build this thing. Read the prequel novel Catalyst. Oh, okay. It's in there. But now everybody's after Galen's communiques. The rebels are after the Death Star plans, and Vader is sending Krennic to look for those messages. So everybody's going to converge on Scarif, which I thought was a type of boat, but apparently it's a planet. It's a beach, man. I want to party here. This looks, of all the <laughs> yeah. places we've been to in the Star Wars universe, this is the one where I would go on for spring break. Yeah, it's it's Hawaii. It's yeah. They're running out of environments they haven't done. They're like, oh, let's go to the Caribbean, Mon. <laughs> <laughs> and that's on the poster, too. I remember being weird about that. The blue crystal water with a bunch of stormtroopers standing around going, how did we get here? I don't know. Well, yeah, in the trailers, you're going to see Adats like shooting around through Palm trees (laughs) i thought that would have been like a midpoint battle too i didn't expect that at the end but all of our characters conveniently converge here and krennic is here to look through a whole bunch of emails i guess you know the russians have leaked (laughs) them and we got to find out what's in those messages he's got to go through galen's private server (laughs) i mean we all know how this is going to turn out and i do think that that's a huge Uh, detriment to this movie is we know very well that this message is going to get out. There's no suspense about it. The the rebels are going to succeed. And I believe, sitting in my seat, it's going to cost the lives of all the players. That, to me, is not a surprise at all. I mean, did you guys think it was the Dirty Dozen? Because I definitely felt like Oh, they're all going to die except for Jen. Jen will get away and she'll have to form some new identity or something. Some reason why she's not a part of the Rebel Alliance in A New Hope. But I thought that she would get away and everyone else was dead meat. Not only did I not think everyone was going to die, I thought when K2SO dies that they're like, oh, they're just going to transfer his conscious into another robot that looks the same. Like Baby Groot. I did not expect them to wipe the slate clean so continuity people could go, well, why isn't Jen on Yavin 4 and where's Cassian? Like, I feel like that is why they kill everyone because people would complain about why these characters aren't around later. I think that's part of it. I think part of it is they wanted a more dour and adult Star Wars movie. If everybody escaped, that would be like all the others. It's going to shock people who aren't expecting this. But I'll agree with you, Stuart, that 
there's no suspense in this ending for me because I don't really care about too many of the human characters. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if they'll live or die. Yeah. I was not considering it a foregone conclusion they'd all die. But we know they get the Death Star plans. I wish there was something else in to give us suspense. And truthfully, on two of my watchings, I started to fall asleep here. And I at least closed my eyes. I think it was the 3D. Both times I saw it in 3D, my eyes hurt so bad and even though i wasn't sleepy i'm like closing my eyes and lowering my head we're about to start covering the resident evil saga and so i've learned a lot about 3d movie making and they say that you have to edit differently and you can't shake as much or it causes eye strain i think all the handheld shit in this really in 3d hurt me physically when i watched it in 2d i was fine but i really the third time i watched it i'm like is this plot at the end so dull i want to nap or is it the 3d i think it was the 3d i feel like by the end by the third act this is when i'm most engaged yes i know those death star plans are going to get out but i am ready for this battle because i've been impressed by the earlier ones because of that grit they just have a different feel and and i'm ready for that big star wars climax I, i feel like every star wars film just has a giant fight at the end and this is a Star Wars film. I'm ready for that. I'm excited for that. It's weird that they go space balls and have a planet with a little hole in it to vacuum out the atmosphere like they do on Scarif. But, you know, I'm looking for things that are different, that there's this force field and this gate that they have to get through. Cool idea. I know where it's going, but I, I like that they the obstacles they set up to get there. If only they'd use that shield and, like, over Endor or something. If they'd put one around the Death Star, maybe. (laughs) And there's a ladder, too. Again, I've noticed that imagery throughout, and in order to get the information that they need, I don't quite understand this. There's a lot of techno talk about how hard it is to upload the plans. The file is that big? They need a giant tower to do this? No, the Empire makes you use a joystick to get it out. Like, you have to manually retrieve it. Can't you buy this in a book form? Isn't there, like, like, a published hardback that's like 300 pages of Death Star. (laughs) I miss the days like the 70s where people didn't know what sci-fi would look like and so they had to imagine data cards and beaming information. Now, they actually make these things that these robotic arms that go and grab physical hard drives and plug them into ports for petabytes of storage and it really is the Empire server room and I find that to be a little basic. I mean, she's pulling out a hard drive and carrying it around. I'm guessing it's solid state because it can take some bumps. (laughs) And I find it funny. They're like, oh, there's so much data to have to transmit. I've seen those Death Star plans in A New Hope. It's dot matrix. There ain't that much data. (laughs) Hey, have you seen CAD files? Nothing probably details every loo on the entire Death Star. There's a lot of data if you drill down into it. It's the full schematics. It it shows the height of the Emperor's bedroom and where the <laughs> plumbing all goes. It's Technobabble. I'm going to be positive and say what I love is the battle. I love the space fight. I love the ground fight. I think it's all very engaging. It's the best a Star Wars battle has ever looked, and it's the best Star Wars battle I think we've gotten at least since Hoth. But I think that all of the individual tasks each of these six characters have to do is a writer's room sitting around like, how do we make each of these characters do something vital? Let's have Bodhi run a network cable and uh, let's have K2SO guard a door and cheer it can flip a switch. I'm, I'm surprised you haven't thrown out this reference. It's Galaxy Quest. There is the chompers. When she has to jump through that door, I actually wrote the Sigourney Weaver line. This episode was poorly written. Yeah, it's like, oh, realign antenna. Oh, I 
gotta run way out on this catwalk to go realign the antenna, which is actually right where I'm standing. Like, they, they come up with some weird <laughs> obstacles. What I'm loving is, same as you, Arnie, I'm, I'm loving this ground fight that we're seeing this from the Rebels' point of view when those AT-ATs come and they're looking down at them. The air fight when the Rebel Alliance, I guess, finally gets their stuff together and decides to show up and fight. If I'm not invested in the characters, I never really get that excited about a battle, but I do have one emotional moment. The My biggest emotion watching this is in this climax here when we lose Zatoichi. I don't remember his name, but the blind swordsman, you know, he, he does the prayer thing and then his friend comes in with the gun and takes up the prayer. That really worked for me. Yes. Those, those deaths mattered. And I felt that. That is so screenwriting 101. You know, you take Han Solo and now he believes in the Force and he's saying that same prayer that the other guy was saying. Baze is now saying, I am one with the Force. The Force is one with me. Like, it, it's so basic, but it works. It's it, it's done for a reason. It works every time. It played me. I choked up. I felt for it. I didn't choke up. I thought it was a decent death. The one where I slightly choked up was K2SO dying heroically. <laughs> really? I mean, He's a robot. I hate to be that way, but who cares? No, he's got so much personality, though. No, I, I took my one daughter, 10-year-old daughter, to see this, and I asked her, I'm like, Who, whose death was the K2SO? That was the saddest, right? And she, no, she agrees with you, Stuart. Blind Jedi guy was, and then K2SO. Those those were the two saddest ones for her. Yeah. Bodhi, I missed how he died the first time. They throw a grenade in a ship and... Something. Yeah, it just blows up. Yeah. I think he's the first to go, too. So I think he was the one that we cared about the least. So they got that one out of the way. That one was like, okay, we can live without Bodhi. But then the, it becomes harder. I agree. We lose some of the more important secondary characters. Each of them does something heroic when they die, except for Baze. I mean... Bodhi gets the message out, and then he dies. Chirrut flips the switch, and then he dies. K2SO flashes a green light so you know which hard drive to steal, then he dies. Baze decides to commit suicide by walking out without any cover and just shooting until he's dead. He goes to see his friend, and he's a believer now. That means something. And, and his belief fails him. Chirrut was able to walk through a bunch of fire. That's not the point, though. The point is he believes. Yeah, you're, you're intentionally taking a more cynical stance when the emotional stance we're to take is obvious. That he sacrificed himself for his friend to help out his friend. And that's what we, we always get that in war movies, in the Dirty Dozen and what have you. Those, those battle field moments of self-sacrifice or for characters that can be selfish it's it's it works i'll put it this way bays chura and k2so their death had more of an impact on me than han solo's in a force awakens mm. yeah. yeah that's true there these weren't as telegraphed and they were more emotional i felt again where i feel it was just driven home that those two were a couple is how bays just he turns away from the grenade and his dying look is at chirrut's and you know, and cheer it saying, look towards the force. I'll always be there for you. I think that that was a touching romantic end. But yeah, then we've got the space battle going on where lots of nameless people are dying and we bring back some other people from the dead. Hey, red leader and gold leader got cheers from the crowd I was in. R2. They did. Have we seen them before? Yeah, they took unused footage from A New Hope or alternate takes of them saying red leader standing by. I didn't even realize it was an alternate take. No, I didn't either. I thought they literally cut and pasted footage from the original. 
but they found a vault of alternate takes when they filmed these guys as pilots doing stuff and inserted them in here. So Red Leader here is Red Leader in A New Hope. Gold Leader's Gold Leader in A New Hope. We didn't get Biggs or anything else, but those two were consistent and when we're introduced to red five i'm like oh you're dead because we know there's a different yes. Red five come a new hope <laughs> yeah i got i saw that the crowd was with them uh to me they were the least interesting thing going on the screen because i had no investment in what they were doing they were it stayed up in the air and they shot things and took down ad ads and that was cool but yeah I, hey they brought out the hammerhead corvette from the rebels cartoon series to ram one star destroyer into another star destroyer i did love that well, oh that's from the rebels cartoon series that, that moment got a huge reaction out of the crowd as those star destroyers crashed into each other it, it looks great visually admiral radis is like I, I got a plan that might work. Like, it, yeah, it's just to ram two ships into each other and throw <laughs> them through the force field. I just really like the way they would zip in there, too. They would come out of hyperdrive or whatever. And they just, yeah, all of that stuff way up above the planet is exciting. The X-Wing stuff in the tropical area, to me, was kind of like, uh, must be for the fans. I didn't know what we were supposed to get out of that, other than watching some ad-ads go down. Toys. Somebody's there like, okay, we need to have a different type of TIE fighter so I can sell a toy of it. Okay, let's make their wings so go sideways. Now we'll call it a TIE striker. Oh, that's true. They did have a different type. Yeah. And let's have this U-wing to deliver troops so that we can sell toys of the U-wing ship. And let's put a beige side on AT-ATS. You, you sound like this is a complaint, but this has been a standard for Star Wars since the first one. It's just not plot driven. <laughs> I, I, there's a lot of... And AT-AT doesn't make a whole a lot of sense <laughs> i'm just saying that chicken walkers a lot of that stuff is not feasible in the real world they made them for toys but i go with it i don't know but I, i'm a fan of star wars i'm enjoying all these battles going on this it feels like star wars but there's also that grit to this one because people actual characters that are named and star throughout the film are actually dying and just the way it's shot again there's people saying don't take your little kids to this one i can see why they'd feel that way it is a dirtier grittier a, a darker star wars you know i've never had a star wars vehicle toy but if i did it would be this folding crane ship Krennic has. I i think we've seen it in other star wars <laughs> movies as well but similar ones not like this one yeah are you talking a shuttle? Yes. I, I believe so. Yes. It's the white thing that looks like an origami crane to be. Oh, like an like a bird crane, not like a construction crane. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I don't remember him lifting heavy <laughs> objects. No, but he's riding in here as well. He's going to personally come down and stop the security breach. He's been up in the tower, but he's going to come here and we're, we're at another ladder. I feel like this is where Cassian should die, that uh, he gets shot and he takes an awful fall. I feel like it's kind of a, a stretch to think that he could come back and come to the rescue of Jin. When Jin looks down and he's just lying on a platform, I know he's not dead, but I do, I agree with you. I feel like that should have been his moment of death. He should have fallen all the way down. There are a lot of redos going on here. If you watch the trailers, somehow they made it out of the tower. Like, there's a shot of Jin running up and there's a TIE fighter at the end of the catwalk. Hmm. Yes, I remember that. Okay, she got away in some version. Of course she did. Yeah, there's shots of her running on the beach carrying the hard drive and she does have a contract for a sequel. I think that in one ending, everybody but her died or something and they were they took it to the ground. There's scenes of them running from AT-ACTs that are attacking them, the walkers. And all of this was cut. They 
totally redid this ending by and large. And now it's just they beam it from the top of the satellite dish and then Cassian and Jin go down to redo the ending of the world from Deep Impact with... (laughs) Well, I do love that Tarkin. Like, this is the ultimate screw you to Krennic. Ah, just use the Death Star and blow up (laughs) the whole thing. Like, he knows Krennic's down there. I like... I caught this on the third viewing... The Death Star beam doesn't actually hit the city the way it did with Jetta. It goes off in the water somewhere, but the beam goes right through the satellite dish where Krennic is. He's like on top of the dish. He looks up, he sees the Death Star. <laughs> they obliterate him. Yeah. And the city's like side effect. It's personal. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to kill you. And if I'm taking the rest of it, then so be it. If I stop the transmission, great. But really, it's just to squash this bug. I actually thought the Empire would blow up their own satellite dish so nothing could be transmitted, but that doesn't happen. I, I gotta say, though, when, yeah, as this final explosion is going off, maybe it's a Reagan-era thing with the Cold War. There is always something I love about nuclear bombs, like, going off. Like, Terminator 3, not a great movie. I love the end, though, of that. It's just beautiful. Like, all those mushroom clouds going off, and they do that here, too. There's something about, like, nuclear annihilation when they shoot it cinematically. It looks beautiful. Like, they don't go Linda Hamilton and see too here where she turns into ash and a skeleton i mean Jin and cassian they're embracing there there's something beautiful about it as the end of the world is happening and they're they're holding each other it's a romantic goodbye it's it feels like titanic or something where like yeah they're just going to fade into history we're not going to see flesh ripped from bone some of these things hit me like seeking a friend for the end of the world deep impact this scene having to focus on knowing your own death is inevitable for something coming and i just noticed she's holding Cassie and she's the strong one. She's looking into the explosion. He couldn't deal with it. He's looking away. Yeah, to me, this is way too brief to really feel anything. It it was a surprise to see that she was not going to get off the planet, but I can't say that I felt it. In fact, I would even say that this would be an insubstantial ending if it were the last shot of the movie. But thank God we get the best sequence in the entire movie. No, this is so... This is the best part. I love, like, the Rebels try to, like, get out of there. Invader shows up and, like, all the ships just crash into him and then... Oh, this is great. Yeah. Vader. Ah, oh, like, this is the movie I want. This is the movie everyone wants. Vader steals this movie. I mean, as he should. Um, all right. Let me be the downer here. Nope, you're wrong. I'm cutting you off. <laughs> I, I'll admit, I haven't seen Vader act this badass since that Force Unleashed video game. However, why is it here he's lifting people up, throwing them around, pulling four guns away at once, and impales the guy with a lightsaber? And when we see him one week later, he's walking like a stiff old man who can barely swing a saber. Because they couldn't do that back in 1976, 77, whenever they shot it. That's why, Arnie. Because they couldn't be this cool. He kills everybody on the way here. When we see him board the ship that gets away from him, he let the stormtroopers do all the work. And he picks somebody up by his hand to choke him. You're going to let continuity ruin the fun of this climax? That is ridiculous. And I feel like Vader, he he has like a rage here. It's like, oh, we got to really stop this thing. I mean, yes. who knows how long it took him to find the Tantive Four at the beginning of A New Hope, whether it was a few hours, a couple of days, but, like, this is that moment, like, you know he just got chewed up by the Emperor, like, get your butt down to Scarif and stop these guys, and, like, yeah, I love this. We finally get a lightsaber in a Star Wars movie. I'd forgotten there actually is a lightsaber scene in this (laughs) one. Here we get it, and, like, yeah, when he's taking out all these rebels and they're passing it down, I'm like, oh, 
oh shit, that's gonna go to Princess Leia. Like, I'm I'm in full fanboy mode at this point. Wow, I just I was taken out of it. I think it should have been Stormtroopers. If this is a war movie, you shouldn't introduce the magic wizard. And I had forgotten how Star Wars worked. I was like, oh, we got to get it to C-3PO so they can get it to Princess Leia. So I was not expecting to see this CGI Carrie Fisher here at the end. (laughs) Oh, my God. I didn't know if they'd show her. I'm like, maybe it's just going to be the back and we know who it is, wink, wink. But no, she turns around. We see the face. Uh, We see a face. And part of me was like, did they just de-age Carrie Fisher? No, you couldn't fix Carrie Fisher that bad. So. (laughs) <laughs> is this fully CGI? Did they? Is this footage? There is a model who did the body stuff. The same thing with Tarkin. There was a okay. body actor wearing a suit there, and then they CG'd over. And I thought they took a line from A New Hope because what's her favorite thing? Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi. You're my only. What's her one word here? Hope. Hope. But I would love that moment if I wasn't creeped out. Yes, Stuart. You said Polar Express. One hundred percent Polar Express. <laughs> And then 100%. It has been 16 years since Polar Express. I think it's better, but still creepy. Yeah, it's better. And they don't linger on her that long. Mm -mm. Like, it's just a a second or two. It's the final shot of the film. Yeah, Uh, it works for me. I'm into this moment. Yeah, it works because I accept that special effects have limitations. And okay, so it's not perfect. But I do feel like it's the right ending for this movie and one I was not expecting. I did think the story would end with Jin and that we get this Vader blowout. Yeah, being the coolest I've ever seen Vader. I would like Vader more if I had seen him like this in the previous movies. I agree. This scene was awesome if it were at the re- end of Revenge of the Sith. But uh, yeah, I, I, to end on hope. I mean, that is the point. You may be very sad that we lost all of these beloved characters, that there will be no Rogue Two. But hope comes at a price. And so I think it's the right message to end out on this Star Wars story. And finally, they added that A New Hope like in 78 or 79. Which is such a dumb title, I think. (laughs) Yes. But 40 years later, they finally explained what that hope is. We're all like, is it Luke? Is it the Force? What is it? It's the Death Star plans. We're told right here. We now have hope. And Jen goes on and on because she heard it from somebody else. She She stole the line. Rebellions are built on hope. And so that's how we end. But what hope does this have of getting three green arrows? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Star Wars episode 3.999 Rogue One? Jacob. I had to go retroactively try to be somewhat critical of this film because the last 45 minutes of this film blow me away and and they're excite it's so exciting, so fun seeing Vader just go aggro at the end like I was a 5-year-old watching A New Hope again. I'm like just put on A New Hope on the next reel and keep this thing going. I'm ready for the next movie. I never felt that with the prequels like, "Oh, now I got to watch the original trilogy." Like this film, I watch it and now I want to go put on A New Hope. Like I I'm that adrenalized by the last 45 minutes of this film and they just get me into that story but I mean trying to take a step back and look at yeah there are plot problems I've called them out the biggest problem for me is I don't care about our two main protagonists Jin and Cassian like they are the least interesting character and I feel like they should be the most interesting the fun and and the most interesting are those side characters that they're just tropes but they're fun and and so if you have a big problem with characterization that might be a problem for you I feel like the side characters carry enough that Jin and, and Cassian don't bring it down too much. They carry me throughout. I, but overall, I mean, look, I can't be unbiased when I watch this. I, I am a Star Wars fan, 
And here's a prequel that really gets me excited. Best of the prequels, if we're going to put it you know, <laughs> that way. Yeah, th- this is a recommend. I think Star Wars fans are going to enjoy enjoy the nods to what happens in A New Hope. And just, yeah, we know how this ends with the Death Star plans, but it, it was a fun film to watch. It, it, I, I liked what was different than other Star Wars films, the grit in there, the darkness that you just don't usually feel in the saga film. So, yeah, this is a recommend. Stuart. It is a recommend. It's unessential. It's what I want to put out there. I didn't feel like this was a story that needed to be told. I don't feel like I was given characters that I really was jazzed at following. But I do feel like it recreates the world that people love, does a lot of cool callbacks, and just is a pleasant time. It reminded me kind of of that second Wolverine sequel or, you know, some of the better parts of Peter Jackson's Hobbit trilogy of just like, oh, nostalgia for what's been done before, but on a more modest scale. Everything here feels smaller than what the real episodes are like. Who ends up coming out looking the best is Vader. Again, just that last, what, stretch of five minutes to me, really reminds me that I did want a prequel about how he came into power. And I do think that it will really satiate the people that have wanted a return to Darth Vader and what he brought. Yeah, when you were a kid, if you saw Star Wars as a kid, I think I had that moment right there at the end. And I think technically this movie is just beautiful to watch. And even when it gets a little convoluted or boring, I can always find something on the screen I want to be looking at. So for me, it's a modest movie. I don't think that anyone is going to be, it's hard for me to imagine at any rate that anyone will be thinking about it in the years to come and and use it as a touchstone like they would even The Force Awakens. But I think it's worth seeing, and uh, it's a green arrow. When I saw this movie the first time, I was so confused by the characters, and it did sort itself out. During that first half hour, I'm like, if they don't clarify this, then this is a poorly done ensemble film, and I feared from the first half hour this would be the worst Star Wars film ever. It rectified itself and on repeat viewings now that i knew who to look for and who was important i didn't have that problem again but i walked out of that theater the first time strangely numb because i didn't care about the characters and i'm like technically it's a better film than the force awakens technically from a pacing standpoint from an action standpoint it's a better film but do i like it more than the force awakens do i like it more than the prequels where does it rank for me and This was a film I needed to digest and I needed to revisit a second and a third time to really solidify an opinion because I wasn't sure at first. And now I definitely see what this movie does well. Imagine Return of the Jedi with no puppets. That's what this movie is. Saw is Jabba that you have to go rescue a pilot from and we're going to have a big land battle at the end with walkers and an aerial fight and a shield that has to go down and characters are going to die. It is the Return of the Jedi I think fans have hoped for forever. At least the fans that were now adult and are like, how come Lando didn't die? Lando deserved to die. Well, here you go. They all die. Are you happy now? (laughs) So it's a pretty solid recommend, but it is a more dense film. It is a more unusual Star Wars film. And so it just took me a while to warm up to. But yeah, I stand by now. This is probably my third favorite Star Wars film. It goes A New Hope, Empire, This, The Force Awakens, Revenge of the Sith, Return of the Jedi, maybe those two flip in order, Attack of the Clones, Phantom Menace. Wow, so not only is it a repeat of Jedi, it's an improvement on Jedi in your mind. 
yeah, it, it's got better pacing, honestly. I did find it dragged a little bit in Act 2, but I found Return of the Jedi's first hour to be a little bit poorly done where we spend so much time at Jabba's Palace and ignore the Empire for so long. I don't like creepy Tarkin here. I don't like creepy Leia here. But I do like seeing some of the machinations of the Imperials. I like seeing the characters come back. While continuity Arnie is like some of that doesn't make sense. Fanboy Arnie is really enjoying the callbacks and was applauding with the rest of the crowd when they happened. It's a good mix of old with new and a really solid film. Yeah, I don't know how much I would compare it to Return of the Jedi. It's a better film than Return of the Jedi. I actually like that first hour more, all that weird Jabba stuff. It's That's just the more exciting stuff for me than when they get to Endor. But yeah, this is third or fourth, you know. Of course, it's Empire for me and then A New Hope. I'd have to watch A Force Awakens again, but it's up there. It's either number three or number four. It's, it's again, best of the prequels. And every death here did matter more than Harrison Ford. And I like Harrison Ford, but yes. that movie did it bad. <laughs> hmm. For me, it, it still remains and may, who knows? I hope one day it won't be true. There's Empire Strikes Back, and then there's everything else in the universe. I feel like they haven't even begun to approach that again. Before or since, nothing has been as entertaining as that movie. But yeah, I would go Empire, take a huge jump. And then eventually you get to A New Hope. And then, yeah, it's kind of a coin flip, but I'll go Force Awakens, this movie, and Jedi. All kind of in very close proximity. And then everything else, let's just pretend it didn't happen. You know what? It's getting to be similar to that. I don't have anything other than that Clone Wars animated movie. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. Done. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only one that's in that category because I do forget. Maybe the holiday special too, but it's got... <laughs> yeah, that's not a movie. I mean, that's just an atrocity. But for me, it's A New Hope, then Empire, and then it's becoming a clutter with Revenge of the Sith... Return of the Jedi, The Force Awakens, and this. Like, at any moment, it could be a lava lamp, and at any moment, the bubbles are in any configuration. And then down at the bottom, you've got, still recommends, but Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace in that order. But the more movies come out, the more I feel that lava lamp is going to get full. I don't know if Disney has it in them to get something that rises above the way A New Hope and Empire did. And it's not just because they were the first, it's because they were the best. I think they do because I think we've seen them do it with Marvel movies. I have seen them with the Captain America movies deliver something more exciting than even Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, but I was going to make a Marvel comparison too because I do feel like a lot of the Marvel stuff for me is just a glob floating, you know, in, in yeah. that lava lamp, in Arnie's lava, lava yeah. lamp. Yeah, there is Iron Man and there is... Winter Soldier, uh, I don't know. I haven't seen them turning out like great film after great film with the Marvel ones. They turn out acceptable, entertaining films. And, you know, if they keep that up with Star Wars, I'll be happy. Yeah, I think that's the point. Yeah, you know what they have yet to do? What they have yet to do is convince me we need a new Star Wars film. These have been good, but do we need it? What is necessary about it? With the Avengers films, at least they've sold me we're building to Thanos. With Star Wars... <laughs> They still have to convince me that we need this back. Do we need Thanos? Why do you care about <laughs> Thanos, though? I don't know why I you're... don't want a movie about jewelry. <laughs> 
But we're going to find out. They It was supposed to be this spring. I guess they've decided leave Marvel for spring, keep Star Wars for Christmas money. God knows it worked for The Force Awakens, number one film of all time. And this Rogue One, one of the biggest opening weekends of all time. Over Avatar? Over Avatar. James Cameron didn't do the cool thing and actually take out the newspaper ad where he handed off the crown. He just wasn't polite enough for that. But Well, just wait for Avatar 2. It's going to blow them all away. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> It'll blow me away if it actually gets made. How about that? <laughs> I hear Michelle Rodriguez is coming back. Because <laughs> she's going to be in next week's movie we review. We're going to start the Resident Evil series. If you haven't had enough characters coming back from the dead with our reanimator bonus series, we're going to do some zombies and some video games. This movie today felt like a video game, or at least Tarkin looked like a video game. So we'll see <laughs> how Paul W.S. Anderson can do with an actual video game adaptation. And in the meantime, our donation drive is coming to an end. It is Christmas week, and come New Year's, our donation drive ends, and we could really use your support. And we have a bunch of bonus films. We've talked about all the Fly retrospective, including Cronenberg's film, plus the classics, the horror films of 1986, which were kind of horror, comedy, sci-fi. We got Chopping Mall, House, Deadly Friend, definitely comedy. <laughs> there were some other more grosser, more serious from beyond. It it had as a sense of humor, but I think what it's a real cornucopia. I really did enjoy going through that series. It may be one of my favorite of this year, just because it was so varied and, of course, tied to film history and with so many different directors and creative forces going into it. It, it. You get a new thing each podcast. I really feel like it was fun to do that as a series. And even if those bonus shows don't excite you, we could really use your help. I'm about to spill a number that even Jacob and Stuart don't know. Do you know how many podcasts we've done this year? I know it feels like a million, but I, I'm guessing a little <laughs> bit less. 72. 72? I, that would have been around where I would guess too. Yes. But before the end of the year, when we put out Resident Evil next week, that's our final show of the year. 97 podcasts. Wow. Mm. That's pushing almost two a week. Yeah. That means there are, if we average it out, yes, there were some weeks where we did three, but not even counting books and nachos. If you average this out, it is only a handful of weeks where we only did one show. Nearly a hundred movie reviews in one calendar year, starting way back with Inglorious Bastards. And ending with Resident Evil. Wow, what a fall. <laughs> <laughs> and so much in between. And how can we put out this output? I think we'll all be honest. It is nearly a full-time job for each of us. And then that doesn't even include the editing, the website design, the moving of web host to web host, the support given to donors when they need their email links again. This is a labor of love. None of us are getting a paycheck out of this but we can't pay out of our pocket to do it either we really could use your support if you enjoy the show we do and want to help us keep going i don't know that we can do 97 and 17 but 97 podcasts this year if you enjoyed 25 of those 97 a donation of 25 dollars comes to a dollar an episode for the shows we do and i thank everybody who's donated in this donation drive and i really hope that before new year's we can get a few more people in under the wire 
And also, just a PSA, if you're looking for some of these older shows, we did move web hosts. All of our shows are over at Podbean, and Podbean does have their own app. We got some feedback that because we moved them, every show was re-downloading for people, and it was eating up their data limits on their phones. So we've limited our iTunes feed so that it doesn't do that. We're slowly building it back up. But if you're looking for any of our older shows that were on the main feed and you don't see them, they're all at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. And they're all on the Podbean app, which is free for Android and iOS. So we'll be back on Friday for our donors with the final Reanimator film, Beyond Reanimator. And until we talk then, the podcast will be with you always. Introduction, they've got it. I'm out now. The rest of you can do what you want. You care not about the cause. You can stand to see the Imperial flag rain across the galaxy. It's not a problem if you don't look up. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now playing Star Wars retrospective series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. I believe I owe you an apology, Director Krennic. Your work exceeds all expectations. If you like Star Wars, join Arnie and Marjorie at SWActionNews.com for Star Wars Action News, a podcast dedicated to Star Wars toys, books, games, and more. I have to hope there's still an Imperial ship left to steal. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. They keep all the Imperial structural archives up there. If the plans are anywhere, they'll be there. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find hundreds of in-depth movie reviews. Oh, it's beautiful. Including every film in the Star Trek, Terminator, 2001, Back to the Future, Batman, and James Bond film series. You do have a great many things to explain. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com. The unfortunate side effect is that one tends to lose one's mind. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can share your opinions of these films with the hosts and other listeners. Hey, you just bunch yourself. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at NowPlayingPodcast.com. My child... The strongest stars have hearts of Kaiba. Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. There's a 26% chance of failure. Well, now there's a 35% chance of failure. I don't want to know. Thank you. I understand. We rely on support from listeners like you to help keep the show going. Are we really talking about disbanding something that we worked so hard to create? We need to act now. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. We don't all have the luxury of deciding when and where we want to care about something. Some of us leave it. Good luck! I don't need luck! 
I have you! You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Well done. You're a rebel now. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. The Force did protect me. I protected you. You can show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. A link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. I'm here. I'm looking. Go. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Really? Man of your talents? Only, I imagine. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. Quiet! And there's a fresh one if you mouth off again. Now Playing is produced by Arnie Carvalho. We stand here amidst my achievement, not yours! Now Playing is not affiliated with Lucasfilm, 20th Century Fox, or Disney. Be careful not to choke on your aspirations, Director. Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Lucasfilm Limited, and no infringement is intended. Remember, whatever I do, I do it to protect you. So you understand? I understand. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I find that answer vague and unconvincing. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2016, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. I've never had the luxury of political opinions. Don't go. Don't go. I'm here. I'm here. It's okay. It's okay. Look for the force. And you will always find me. Rogue One. May the force be with you. There were a lot of scenes of Bail Organa. Not Kale Organa, as you put in your notes, Stuart. Um, <laughs> I didn't know if he was being funny or he just I was. was not being I, a fan. I thought I called him Organic Kale, but that's what I do in my real notes. Um, okay. I'm like, did I accidentally delete the first half of my plot summary? Mm, I'm sure you could do it from memory. That, that's the half I needed on. If ever there was one you could just freestyle it on, this is it. <laughs> Bodie Rook, played by Patrick Swift. Played no. by Riz Ahmed. Patrick Swayze? Wrong Bodie. <laughs> Point break, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, I forgot about him. Anytime I hear the name Bodie, I think surfer. Mm, yeah, me too. General Draven, Alistair, screw his name, send Andor on a mission. Is Alistair Petrie anybody? No. Okay, good. So I don't have to say his name. Who are you even referring to? The general guy who says kill Galen. General guy. Yeah, the general yeah, who's no. in charge of... Gives Cassian all his orders and is standing there like, the mission must oh, continue. that extra. No, I, yeah, I can't <laughs> even visualize him. All right. But Leah's starship jumper space. Story and what's her name? Leia? Ren? Ren? Jen Kylo Ren? Burst? Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Oh, Kylo Made Ren. a part of Luke's. Probably Pablo Hidalgo. Probably Pablo. Probably Pablo Hidalgo. Probably Pablo Hidalgo. 
I can never remember his name. Cassie. I want to say Cassirian. I think that's from like C.S. Lewis or something. Yeah. One of his books. Cassian reminds me of Cassian. Prince Caspian from C.S. Mm-hmm. Lewis. Caspian. That's Narnia. what I'm thinking of. Yes. Yeah. We're never yes, coming to that series. Okay. Never, ever, ever. No. It, it's never dead. say never. Cassian. Okay. <laughs> Uh, for one thing, I actually did the hand motion when I was doing the Arsenio. I don't know why this isn't a video <laughs> podcast. When we watched that Gollum prequel, or when we watched that Hobbit prequel, and Gollum, and Gollum finally showed up. Lord of the Rings? Yeah, yeah, it was like, oh, yes. But... And then we get this horrible Michael Giacchino stinger as we see a planet. 